Ta-da! Uh, it's the afternoon, and so welcome to Daily Brew Episode 7, I think, and I'm not actually going to brew tea today. It's Sunday. I'm continuing to make this every fucking day. Is this 7? This is 7, so tomorrow will be the, the next the next week of brews. Holy shit, I did it. I did I did an episode every week. Um, at least I've sat down and I've recorded this one. I have to get it up and edit it and all that jazz, but, but we're, we're getting there. And we're failing a lot. And we're failing a lot, okay? And people are unhappy about it in some ways. And people are happy about it in some ways. And that's great. This is good. We knew. Uh, I knew where we were going from the outset. This wasn't going to be perfect from the outset. This We got a goal, and the goal is to iterate. And the iteration is happening. And so we're reaching our goal, because the goal isn't produce immaculate content immediately. It's try to build a system of content creation that produces good content continuously because the system of content creation that I had was producing good content but not enough of it consistently enough, effectively enough, and it wasn't in balance with the my overall well-being and my life and stuff. And so we're getting a balance going and it's it's weird and it's weird and it's hard and I'm failing a bunch and it hurts and people are criticizing me a bunch and it hurts and I'm I'm apologizing a bunch and it hurts and it's working. It's fucking working. Because of course it is. Because the process is the process of realizing that there are things that I'm doing that aren't working. That's the whole process. The whole process is realizing that there are things that I'm doing that aren't good. The whole process is one of humility and then one of one of observation and one of communication and one of welcoming the insults because people are getting getting real insulting sometimes and I welcome it sometimes but I'm trying to get them to be better about the way that they present their ideas so that we can understand each other and we can go back and forth and in the process I'm getting better at presenting my ideas and all, all you have to do to make it clear that I am getting better at presenting my ideas is go back one month in videos and watch any video from a month ago and then watch one of the videos now and, the, and it's not the same person. And it's different and worse in some ways, but it's way better in a lot more ways. And so we're getting closer to the thing. Or at least we're closer to a process that will get us closer to the thing and that's worth it. Okay, I've got a couple things that I want to talk about today for the Daily Brew that's not a Daily Brew. First off... One week in, that's a big check mark, right? We got get six little check marks and then a big check mark. One week. Okay, we did it. Some of the episodes are three hours long, and that seems like maybe too much. Some of the episodes are 20 minutes long, and that seems like maybe too little. Seems like about an hour is like where the sweet spot is. Maybe. Some people have suggested that I split up the podcast from the anime reaction channel. I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know. I'll consider it. Let me know what you think of the idea in the comments. Maybe I'll put a poll about it on Patreon that I'm not beholden to, but it'll at least give me some ideas. Maybe I need to be polling for way more stuff on Patreon in terms of channel stuff to figure out what people actually want. The problem with that is that phrasing those polls is really important. And the other problem is, and this is an arrogant idea, but it's also a fundamentally true idea, is that masses of people don't know what they want. Generally, people are bad at knowing what they want. I had a, ch a conversation with a child today where he was like, I don't want this cupcake. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want the cupcake. And the kid is a kid. He hasn't had any sugar yet. He's not overloaded on it. And he does want the cupcake. And if he were to take a bite of the cupcake, he would love the cupcake. But there are particular ways to handle that circumstance. And the way to handle it is not to force him to eat the cupcake. So, but the idea is that that fundamentally people don't always know what they want, and and I watch. I'm not to say not to say that people are cats, but people are kind of cats. 
And people are kind of like dogs, and we're kind of dumb animals, too. We're really smart, and we're really dumb. And I'm really smart, and I'm really dumb. I'm so stupid at some things. I, I make some really bad decisions sometimes, and I'm working on it, and I'm, I'm evaluating it. And figuring out the places where I'm really smart is really helpful because then I can I can expand my area where I'm like, maybe I'm okay at checking skeletons around corners in these fields a little bit. And I'll get reminded that I'm not good enough at it constantly when the skeleton comes out around the corners. Like, ha no, because Dark Souls, the world is better game designed than I have ability to deal with but i'm really good at some things and i'm really bad at other things and i'm really smart at some things and really stupid at other things and one of the things that i think people in broad general terms are really bad at is knowing what's good for us and this is just obvious this is just obvious because if people knew what was good for them they would eat well and people don't eat well some people do most people don't because you're your animal brain is stronger than you are a lot of the time, and your animal brain thinks that eating fatty, salty, sweet foods makes you live longer, because it used to, and it has for a long time. It's a it's imperative. It's, it's physical, physiological, neurological, neurochemical. It's built through you to seek out the fatty, salty, sweet things and eat as much of them as you can as fast as you can, and people do it all the time even though it's not good for them. And so, we can say as a fundamental truth, it's, it's not self-evident at least that you know what's good for you or that you'll vote on what's good for you it's also in no way evident that i know what's good for me or that i would ever know what's good for anybody else so maybe the presupposition that anybody knows what's good for anybody else including themselves is a false presupposition cool so then we can treat how to be and how to act as something that requires experiment and trying stuff. And then we can say that trying to share the things that have worked for one person or worked for multiple people might be useful. Because if you don't know what you want, and you, you, you don't know whether what you want is actually good for you, figuring out what people have pursued and succeeded, and they've looked back and said, I'm glad I did that thing, and then they share that and they're like, wow, other people should do this thing, because when I did this thing, I became glad that I did this thing. That might be worthwhile. So let's start with some easy things. You should move your body more. Because when I've moved my body more, I've never regretted it. Never ever. And everybody that I've, I've by hook or by crook, I've convinced or I've tricked or I've forced to come and move their body more, especially in unison with like weights, which are hard and they make it harder, they've never regretted it. And they've always looked back and gone, man, I'm really glad we did that. And I mean on the on the small scale of the day where they're like, man, I really don't think I should go to the gym. I'm like, you should come anyway. And they come and they do like some shitty sets and they don't do very well. But at the end of the day, they go, man, that wasn't a great gym day, but at least I'm glad I came. It's like on that micro level, they're glad they did the thing. And then on the macro level, they look back and they're like, man, I'm glad I've been coming to the gym for a month. I feel a little better. And then on the macro, macro level, they, they go like, wow, I'm glad I've been going to the gym for a year. I looked in the mirror and I don't look like, I don't feel like shit. It's like, whoa, yeah, yeah, okay. So then we got at least a couple people confirming that this thing works. This one thing works, and maybe maybe it's worth sharing that with some other people. And there might be some people for whom going to the gym or working out in, in whatever way doesn't work. But it seems generalizable that for people, working out is good. And that seems to be, like, imperative to the way that we're structured and the way that we are. And so it's reasonable to generalize about it. And, and you can generalize as, as much as you are close to people. I can generalize about people because I'm a person, a little bit. And to a little bit of an extent, I can generalize about the things that I can observe, if I can observe them and if I can categorize them. 
what one of my one of the best essays so there's been a lot of discussion about essays and about about the writing of essays or the the writing of academic papers and stuff like that um one of the best essays that I ever wrote the one that I'm I'm one of the ones that I'm most proud of and I don't have access to any of my essays which is really unfortunate because I wish that I could go back and and look through them and first off I could evaluate them from my own perspective and I would find out immediately that I'm not as smart as I think I as I thought I was probably because I'm a lot smarter now than I was then or at least I know a lot more now than I did then. And so my my viewpoint was flawed. And I'll bet that if I went back to it, there are seeds of the viewpoint that I had that are correct and seeds that are incorrect and flawed. And I'd be able to better parse those out and come to a better conclusion. But the essay that I wrote was about genre, specifically about genre. And, it, and what I did, I didn't know that I was doing it because I didn't have any background in... Um, in in postmodern critiques at that point, and now I have a little bit, and I'm gonna have more because I'm I'm buying the books by Derrida, and I'm buying the books by Foucault, and I, I'm gonna read some books, and I'm gonna change a lot of ideas over the next year as I read more books because they got a lot of ideas in them, and I need to change those ideas. They're generalizations that have worked for a lot of people. Are are books the the books that matter that sell a lot that that people go these change my life same with the stories that change my life there's something general and extracted about the world about them that explains something about universal truths or existence or something that people find useful and so I'm gonna read the feminine mystique because that was a an interesting generalization in the 1960s about about feminism and I should know it and I don't. And so I'd like to, and I'm going to read these big generalizations from perspectives that aren't mine. And we'll talk about perspectives that aren't, my, aren't mine soon. So I'm going I'm to read these books, but, but I wrote this thing about genre. And essentially, I, I boiled down this argument to the difference between science fiction and thrillers is, is where we'll go with it. Okay, so you got sci-fi, and sci-fi has elements, and you can you can define the broad umbrella category Venn diagram thing of, and Venn diagrams are partly the answer, of sci-fi with these broad terms like, well, maybe it happens in a future, maybe there's technology, and then with thematic terms that are like, well, science fiction is usually about fundamental under, underlying social conflicts that are extrapolated out into a sci-fi future where technology has allowed us and, and our development as a species and maybe interactions with other species allow us to relate to the stories that are fundamental human stories, as far as we know, or fundamental existential stories from our observations in a way that's more distant from our observations and and that seems like something akin to what sci-fi is and then you have thriller or or thriller or horror right and horror is about exploring fundamental struggles of existence like there are monsters right um um and sci-fi is, is struggling those fundamental things of existence and often it's that the monsters are us is the idea one of the ideas in sci-fi it's like well especially alien stories it's like there's an alien out there and it's scary, but usually the monsters are us. That's um, elaborated and elucidated most effectively, to my mind, in The Monsters on Maple Street, the episode of The Twilight Zone, which I'll spoil for you right now. There are some aliens, and they're just observing. They do a couple of weird things, but the people of Maple Street are the monsters. The people around Maple Street be be begin to become paranoid about the idea that there are aliens among them, and they destroy their own civilization by becoming paranoid that there's something infecting them. And, and it's like, 
that's a good fucking interesting story and it's a sci-fi story but it's also a horror story and a thriller story so where's the difference because then we say all these things about thrillers they they're about our fears and they're about externalizing our fears and and demonstrating and recognizing and undergoing our fears and they're about heroism often a thriller story is about a hero who's trying to figure out a way to be in the the spite of those fears and sometimes that's like a a, a protagonisty survivy hero like sometimes in horror movies you have survival a lot of this thought comes because I watched Shaun of the Dead last night and Shaun of the Dead is a hell of a myth it's a hell of a myth and I'd love to talk about it uh, for a modern for a modern mythos against chaos and disorganization it's like wow it's mind-blowingly good it's mind-blowingly good as a mythology because because Frost and Peg and Edgar Wright know some shit and they get to a lot of it in their Cornetto trilogy really effectively. Um, um, but but anyway, I'm thinking about this in terms of Shaun of the Dead because zombies are their own representation of certain things, and thrillers and horrors are some their own representation of certain things. And often when you have somebody survive in a thriller or horror movie, it's not just one survive. Well, if it's one survivor, it's usually the pure feminine. That's actually a Japanese horror idea in in Japanese horror movies because Jap Japanese horror has a totally different traditional landscape than American horror totally different uh, uh, i took a full class on this from a, a fantastic teacher at a fantastic university I took a whole class on japanese horror mythologies and and japanese horror is totally different than american horror and we've incorporated japanese horror into our horror like like juon the grudge was mind-blowing and the ring was mind-blowing because it's a different type of horror than we had experienced we had played with like a lot of the exorcisty stuff and 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 things in that vein with horror and and spiritualism and and coming at Hollywood came at horror repeatedly from this very kind of Judeo-Christiany sort of mindset toward horror and Japan has a totally different spiritualized mindset toward horror based in a long history and tradition of Japanese film which is fascinating by the way and I think Japanese film is fascinating and this is this is why I talk about anime, is because it's got this historical tradition in film and representation and in art prints and scrolls and representation that you can trace back like a thousand thousand years in terms of Japanese representations of storylines. And, and that's true of many cultures, but I find the ones in Japan just particularly compelling. There's something about them that I think they get. And we look at some of the society that they've built out of them and some elements of it are to be deeply admired. And I think that's a, a fractal representation of the stories that the people who are in that nation believe in. And I think we should believe in some of the things that those stories tell us. And maybe we shouldn't believe in some of them. Because while Japan is doing great on some aspects and some some fields, they're not doing great on some others. Like, like there, there are some issues with suicide in Japan and they're not good. And personal, personal fulfillment doesn't seem to be up in Japan. And, and from a broadly gaijin, baka gaijin idiot perspective, it strikes me as a possibility that the societies that have resulted in, in, that particular island nation, some of them, are too close to being like the societies of bees than they are like the societies of wolves. Because humans are like wolf bees. We're like communal pack, individual, hunter, communalist, scavenger, prey, group, uh, individuals fucking weird shit that i'm thinking about but but the reason i'm thinking about it is because i know a bit about bees i don't i don't know that much about people honestly and i'm trying to figure out more about people and i, I don't know that much about wolves but i do know a bit about dogs because i've had dogs you learn a lot about the world when you have dogs and you learn a lot, a lot about the world when you have cats 
pets are reflections of us in some ways. They're like simpler, simpler people because they have a lot less of the consciousness part that gives us so much fucking grief to be conscious of ourselves in the world. And they get to live sort of okay and good for them. Fucking awesome. And it's part of, part of why being to, I think, I think broadly, generally why being around them makes us a little bit more calm and comfortable and makes us able to think less because we can be like, well, this cat creature doesn't care about my taxes and, and it seems to be doing all right and it can hang out with me and, and maybe you know, the world is actually kind of okay and we can live something like that. Like there's something to, to having, having dumb animals around and they're smart animals, but dumb animals compared to you is so nice. It's like, oh God, yeah, we can be just chill a little bit. So good. But I know about a, bit, a bit about bees. I've watched bees a lot. And bees are smart as hell uh, collectively. Collectively as organizations and, and as unities. You know, bees have so much faith in their system. They, bees never question. We call, we, we use bees as an example for all sorts, and ants as an example for all sorts of things, because worker bees, right? Busy little bee. Busy as a bee. All of these idioms around bees. Let me pull up idioms. Uh, you know, this is something that you can do, and I do it all the time. I do it for, sometimes for sometimes for the titles of my videos. There will be a word in the video or a word in the episode that sticks in my mind, and I'm looking for a phrase that goes along, along with it. And what I can do is you can just go to Google and type in idioms bees, for example, and the first thing that will come up will be idioms.thefreedictionary.com bees. You click it, and it comes up with a full list of a large portion, not all of them, but a large portion of all the idioms that have ever been said in the English language that include the word bee. So idioms being like, as busy as a bee, a bee in your bonnet. So something that's, something that's like, uh, uh, it's the same as a, uh, uh, like, ants in your pants. You've got, you've got, and, and antsy. You've got something that's, that's bugging you, and it's in your bonnet, so it's in your head. So when you get a bee in your bonnet, it's like an idea that compels you into a direction, and it's like, it's chaotic. And you'll see this used for, for people who are getting angry about something, and, or, or upset about something, or something wrinkles them. They got a bee in their bonnet, and they're out there to go and fix it. They're gonna go change it. But there's something underlyingly interesting about that idiom, which is that really the problem is in you, and all you need to do is take off your bonnet and shake your head out a little bit and um, and fix something in you. So there's, that's interesting. Uh, bees knees is just fun. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. A classic uh, uh, a classic balance statement. Very Bruce Lee in a way. Uh, I know it's it's a Muhammad Ali quote, but very Bruce Lee in his his like water statements and stuff like that. The birds and the bees, nature and truth and stuff. Uh, and and that's an interesting one because bees are communal and birds are individualist and they mate in pairs and then communal beyond that so we're closer to birds than we are to bees and there are some some birds that live totally social uh, uh, communal lives like uh, like parrots um, they live in com communes and crows corvids they live in communes they live in groups so they're like there's some balance there's some weird shit there uh, uh, and and the ones that are social are the ones that are the smartest. And that's true amongst all animal life forms is they get smarter when they have to deal with each other more frequently. When they're just focused on mate and go on, well, mosquitoes can do that. Mosquitoes ain't smart. Well, that, that being said, mosquitoes are very effective at their purpose, but so are viruses and viruses aren't very smart comparatively. They're very effective though. Anyway, uh, uh, bees. 
They do stuff. They have so much faith in their system. They never, ever question. Do you know how, you know, you know, bees make honeycomb. Do you know how they make honeycomb? One, everybody knows that for, 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 for the most part that they create the substances and they, they create the waxy, the, the waxy stuff and they, and they exude it and spit it out and put it down. But, but imagine that each bee as a, uh, as a, a cement mixer truck only has so much waxy substance in them that they can spit out because they're this fucking big and they're just tiny. So what they do is one of them comes by and goes nah, 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 and spits one layer of the stuff and goes and goes back to the the place where they can get more of the stuff and the next one comes by and spits nah, 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 spits another layer no one bee builds one of those honeycombs each honeycomb six six-sided hexagon is the the layered creation of like 400 bees right or maybe maybe 200 bees twice right as they cycle through or, or whatever it ends up being being whatever it ends up being no one of them ever finishes the thing really because they just keep going on and doing the next thing and and no one of them ever sees the the real finished product they do it as a whole they do it collectively they they build the thing without getting any results from it except the result that the whole hive lives on and they as a part of it lives on. And your cells kind of work the same way. They're totally subjugated by your body and they die for you constantly. And that's interesting and centralized and it works to some extent, but we're not bees. And so there are parts of our society that need to be organized like communal bees. And there are, there are reasons why bees keep some of their wealth, their honey, their glorious communal wealth, and the, their pollen, because bees collect pollen too, and they cake it down and they compress it and it's food. The, the pollen is what contains the, the building blocks of their actual cell, their actual figure, physical selves. Mostly they eat pollen and they use the honey as fuel. Because honey is sugar, right? And, and it's it's complicated to turn sugar into more complicated materials. Sometimes you just can't. But you can turn the pollen. The pollen is the seed element of plant, right? It contains all of plant, fractally. And bees eat pollen. That's what. That's kind of what... Um, uh, I mean, you can get just bee pollen. You can get it. You, you can... If you cut open a beehive that's been... Uh, that's a healthy hive, they'll have honeycomb that's decided to be pollen comb and honeycomb that's decided to be larva comb and honeycomb that's decided to be honeycomb and they're in different layers and they're in different parts of the hive and they collectively decide where to place them and they collectively ma maintain their children and they all manage the children together and they collectively decide to some extent who should be given the royal jelly that makes them a queen that makes them a leader or given the other substance that makes them a, a, a male that makes them a drone that makes them weirdly for bees not contribute to society at all except to fuck the queen once and then die because bees are weird and we're not bees and we're not bees neither are we all female worker bees with a queen nor do we organize ourselves in the same type of hierarchies as bees nor should we nor can we because we're individuals but we need to figure out a way to live in unison and so there are some things we could learn from bees because some of the fundamental problems of existence are solved best by bees. And those fundamental problems are like housing and food and and um, the way they interact with each other. Like every bee gets some degree of respect. And every bee contributes to some degree in terms of their work. And, and But every bee is given enough 
sustenance and food that by the time that they become useful to the hive, they can do something, and every bee has found a place to do something. Whatever that thing is, there, there's something about the bees that allows them to find a place, and so we need to find a, a place for everybody. And everybody deserves housing, and everybody deserves food, and everybody deserves water, and I think everybody deserves electricity. And I think as we move forward, I think everybody starts to deserve internet, because they all need a connection to the hive. And that's something else that's interesting about bees. Bees are all connected to the hive. Inside the hive, they drone constantly, and they're letting each other know what's going on. They're actually communicating. They're, they're individually communicating and collectively communicating. And if you go like this next to a beehive, the bees that are next to it go... And they transfer that information to the rest of the hive. The whole hive becomes agitated. And they all go... And if you bang on the hive, they, they start sending out warriors. And, and the whole system becomes different. And that's... Well, that's like the world a little bit. When people start becoming agitated, we start being able to communicate that to each other, and we all start to become agitated. And I think people have a right to communicate to each other and, and deserve to be able to. And so I think the internet and phone services is a fundamental human right, too. And all the bees work together to maintain their hive and to clean up. So, so we need everybody to contribute to some extent to keep our environment safe, right? And all the bees, or some of the bees, work to go out and explore the new territory. And that's like, that's like going and finding what's new in the world, and that's like going and exploring new lands, and that's like the scientist bees who are like, I wonder if there's more nectar out, out this way, let's go experiment. And they fly out that way and they go and experiment in, in places that they don't know, and some of them die, and rip. And, um, and then some of the bees stay home, and some of the bees are warriors and defenders, and some of the bees are taking care of the, the next generation of bees and educating them to some extent. And some of them are just communicating and, and droning, and some of them are building hives, but every bee is doing something. And all of them are keeping their space correct and clean and organizing based on some principle that we don't understand. We don't understand how bees know how to make hexagons at all. But something about what bees are makes them make hexagons and it works. It's instinct. It's driven into them. And that bees never question their instincts. They're perfectly aligned with them. But humans do question our instincts. We're not perfectly aligned with them. And we should question our instincts because we're capable of changing them. And that's what self-awareness is. It's being aware that, gosh, I am really driven to eat fatty, salty, sweet foods immediately if they're put in front of me. I mean, just do this. Take a chocolate bar, unwrap it, put it in front of you on the table and look at it. Watch what happens with your brain. Your brain changes. Your brain starts going, man, I, should, I could just eat that chocolate bar, man. I could really do it. You could really do it. Or here's a better one. Take your phone, put it upside down on the table right in front of you, and just stare at it for a while. And like a few minutes, a solid few minutes. First off, you're going to have the instinct to go and grab your phone to check what time it is because you probably use your, your phone as a timepiece. And you're so... You're so invested in your phone that, like, being away from it really hurts. You ever, you ever, uh, uh, you ever at a party with, with younger folks who've got a lot of phones, or yourself, you know, and they misplace their phone? Now, this happens if you misplace your keys and whatnot, but when you misplace your keys, that's like a, well, that's a fundamental thing. It's like, well, I can't get home without these. I can't drive. Or you misplace your wallet, and you're like, I can't drive without a license, and that's a fundamental thing. But you misplace your phone, and people lose their minds, they, you lose your mind because you've lost your mind. Your mind is in this technology and you lost it. Oh my gosh, what, a, what an idiom, what a metaphor, what an idea. Some cool stuff. Okay.
Ah, we're, we're like bees and we can learn from them, but we're not completely like bees. So I've said I'm a capitalist and I think I am. I think I actually am. And I think I might be a communist too. And what do you know? What do you know? That might be weird, isn't it? And that might fit. That might fit with an idea that I had, which is that everything is magnets and everything is in balance. And so the answers are always in balance. And the answer is never just a uh, uh, just one side of a thing or and dismissing the other. The answer is always trying as best as you can to understand one thing in fullness and believing in it enough to believe in it and then trying as best as you can to, to understand its diametrically opposed opposite in fullness and believing in that too and figuring out a way to believe in both of them as fully. And that's something like a free market for deciding the problems that are too complicated to, uh, for us to solve with individually, communally owned property, sort of, but with a fractally private, I don't mean fractally, I'm using the word too much and somebody pointed that out and they're correct. I, I am using it too much because I'm compelled by fractals. I find them interesting and I think, I think we are them. I think you are a fractal of your genetic code and that might be a fractal of something, a, a, a portion of a fractal of something more fundamental. And I, I really, I think it's something and I think that magnets are a part of it. And I think that, that things in binary opposition, you know, like your entire genetic structured code is things in binary opposition that are, that are complicated and perfect. And then they're arranged into binary opposition into, into X's and maybe Y's if you're, if you're one of us weird men people, um, that's, there's like, there are layers to this thing that you are and you're symmetrical. And we, as a human species, there are, there are people who are fitting into one side of a magnetic binary and one side of another, and we call them male and female, and what the fuck does that even mean? I don't know, but it seems to be part of this this represented order thing. And I think maybe the ideas of how to exist as a political entity that's more complicated than the compli most complicated things that we know. Because the most complicated things that we know are like humans... Or, or living eukaryotic things, and then immediately next to that in terms of most complicated is like living single-celled things, and then immediately next to that in terms of most complicated things is the things that living-celled things are made of, the, the organelles, and then the next most complicated thing is like genetic code or something, but that's like a fractal of the whole thing, I don't know. And, and then the next most complicated thing is like extremely complicated organically folded proteins that are like way more complicated than we understand. We don't even know how proteins work, not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. We don't understand ourselves at all. We don't understand the world at all. But we understand enough to grow, to drag patterns out of it because we're pattern recognition machines and that's our point. That's the point. And one of those patterns that I see is that more often than not, the truth is both things that are in opposition. And by putting them both together in opposition, in balance they become a steady foundation that I can step on and move on from, right? Because if we could lock in our society in a way that works better than it does now, maybe I could move on from thinking all this shit about society. And I'm thinking about all this shit about society not because I'm just doing it on a whim, but because it's the question, these are the questions that are raised in my mind by cyberpunk edge runners and by my existence in the world. Because I'm trying to figure out how I should be an element in the household that I am, that I'm in. And some of the elements of how I should be mean that I have to change the system that our household is, is running in. And it's been hurting. And I've been getting into conflict with the people who live here. Like actively and, 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 and knowingly pursuing conflict. And it's working. 
and it's working and it started as conflict and over the last couple of weeks i've had some drag out fights some real drag out legitimate fights that we've gotten down to the real seeds of our of our disagreements and we've resolved them and then the family the that isn't even a family right because i live with a found family of people who who aren't all blood uh, the family that isn't even a family is working more like a family because we resolve some of the conflicts so to those of you who I know you exist because I hear you, to those of you who feel like there's too much conflict on this channel and like I'm pursuing conflict too much, I get it. Weather the storm a little bit, I'll be back because I'm trying to figure out some things that are in chaos and when we lock them in, we're going to be able to move beyond them and get to something more peaceful overall forever. And maybe we could externalize that out and and figure out some answers that people could maybe agree on, which is weird. But but imagine if we could agree on collectively, globally, a few important rules based upon which we could we could run our individual lives, and those rules would make our society better. Or just rules for how our society be should be rules that would ameliorate corruption, rules that would make people feel more responsible for themselves and their world. Rules that would lead to people actively wanting to do the things that would that would be good for them. Rules and ways of being and convincing truths about being that would make people forego the instant gratification of the fatty, salty sweets and maybe eat some lettuce. Because lettuce doesn't taste very good and it's hard to convince people to eat it. It's hard to convince kids to eat it, but they need to eat the lettuce. And if we could figure out some rules about, well, you can have the salty sweets sometimes, but the lettuce has to be at least X percentage of your diet, then people would live better. And I mean it in your mind too, right? Like we pursue mental fats and sweets constantly. It's why Instagram is so big because everything on Instagram is fatty and salty and sweet. It's immediate and instant and gratifying. And I think it's the same reason that you can drive into any town in this country and you can find a McDonald's. And you might not be able to find like a Jamba Juice. Even though Jamba Juice is pretty popular, you might not be able to find one. Not that Jamba Juice is a good company or that they make good smoothies, by the way. Don't mean to be so snarky and sarcastic, but I make really good smoothies and Jamba Juice makes shite. They put some fruit in it, but gosh, there's so much sugar. They don't really they don't really care about making health products. Some other smoothies are good. I, I don't I don't mean it's better than uh it's better than a burger probably. Probably. I should I should talk about that. I should just mention what I put into smoothies. I put protein powder, I put peanut butter. Sometimes I'll put whole fat ice cream if I really need the calories. I'll put whole whole fat milk and I put um, I buy Wyman's is the company. They they do these really good little wild blueberries that are really tiny and they sell them frozen in bags and they're as cheap as normal blueberries. It's like fucking amazing. Organic wild blueberries from from America that are delicious. They're so good. I mean, they're, they're so rich in flavor. You eat them and you're like, wow, I've, I haven't been eating blueberries for my whole life. These are insane. But they have a, a mixed bag that I buy in three pound bags from Smart and Final. And I buy them, they're in a plastic bag, which I, I hate, but they're in a plastic bag and it's like 14 bucks for a bag and it lasts us a couple of weeks. And by us, I mean, I buy the smoothie stuff for me and for my, my two roommates, we all go to the gym and I buy the smoothie stuff. They drive to the gym. We've, we've talked about it before because one of them at one point came to me and was like, hey man, I'd really appreciate if you would pay me for gas to go to the gym. And I went, hey man, I pay like 60 bucks a month for, uh, for smoothie stuff and let's work out the math on how much you, you spend driving to the gym. And we worked it out and he was like, you know what? 
let's keep things the way that they are. I was like, yeah, let's keep things the way that they are. And in fact, if you want to contribute more to the smoothie stuff that you eat, that would be maybe, maybe a good idea. And that's the kind of fight that you have to have out. Because he was getting this resentful idea that was like, hmm, I'm driving you to the gym all the time and you're taking advantage of me. And that was not the case. It's like, nope, I recognize what's going on there. So we need to talk it out. We negotiate a settlement. And I'm perfectly happy to buy the smoothie stuff because I use more of it. I drink smoothies in the morning too, right? So I use more of it and I'm happy to buy it and I'm happy to give it with to them and happy to share it. And everything's in peace and harmony because we've realized nobody's sacrificing too much and nobody's sacrificing too little. And we're both aware of the sacrifices that are, each other are making. And so we work in harmony to make each other's lives better. And it's like, wow, that can work. That can work. And if only we could extrapolate that sort of system outward to the world, then that could work. That would be really cool, I think. I mean, I think, I hope. But uh, uh, I use their, I buy it in three pound bags. They got one that's cherry berry kale and it's dark sweet cherries. It's little bits of strawberry, really good strawberries too, which is uh, a hard thing to find in frozen strawberries. A lot of frozen strawberries are garbage strawberries. They've got no flavor, no, no sweetness, but also no nutrient value. And strawberries aren't the most nutrient dense berry either. I like blackberries and raspberries and boysenberries and, and dense berries. And I like blueberries too, but I prefer the wild ones because they're denser. But it's cherry berry kale. It's cherries, strawberries, wild blue blueberries and and shredded kale and I put that in a smoothie thing I pour some peanut butter in there I put a scoop or two of protein powder fill it with whole milk and it's like 600 calories of the most nutrient dense delicious stuff that I've ever tasted and it tastes like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because I put like a full two tablespoons of peanut butter and like a cup of berries and so it tastes like berry jelly and and peanut butter and it's delicious I love those smoothies they're so good and again they're, it's like 600 calories and you can make them with less you can make them with skim milk or whatever but I want the, uh, the fats and I I want the milk and I want the peanut butter. It's fucking delicious. And I, I use um, Laura Scudder's peanut butter. And when you look at most peanut butter, go go look at your peanut butter. Go look at what it is, what it says on the side. Because I'll bet it says palm oil or canola oil or soybean oil or it's got something else in it. And it's got some expeller press stuff in it and some weird shit and some lecithin and some strange things. Go buy some Laura Scudder's peanut butter or other natural peanut butter. And if you look at the label, here's what, first off, it should have a layer of oil on the top of your peanut butter. And you should eat peanut butter, I think. I, I think it's better than almond butter because I think almonds are destroying the forests. And that's not worth it. Because almonds are too, they're too expensive in terms of uh, it takes too much water and too much land to make an almond. And peanuts are not as expensive because they just sort of grow in the dirt like dumb potatoes. And so we can make a lot of them. And we make them in, in America. And we, we've got a lot of peanuts. And peanuts are good food and we should use them. As far as I can tell, I don't think there's anything awful and wrong with eating peanuts. They don't seem to be poisonous to people who aren't don't have peanut allergies. So eat more peanut butter. But but you look at the side in the label of Laura Scudder's peanut butter, which is the brand that I purchase and I will recommend because I love it. I love it. You look at it, it says peanut salt. Uh, that's about right. And you should, it's going to take you like five minutes to mix that tub with the, all the oil of it. But you eat it, and every time I get somebody to eat a spoonful, they're like, whoa, that's peanut butter. That's like what that should taste like. And they go and they try some Jif or some Skippy, and they're like, the fuck am I doing? The fuck am I doing eating this garbage? Because it's good garbage. And the Laura Scudder stuff is as expensive. It's the same price. And it comes in a nice glass jar. It's like, it's crazy. It's a good company making a good product that's good for you. And you should eat it. Ah. Anyway, smoothies. They're good. Fuck Jamba Juice. Not really, but like, fuck Jamba Juice. That's the sort of, that's the sort of, they did it wrong. They, they did it, they did it right to be corporately successful but they did it wrong to actually spread healthy eating to the masses 
I don't know how to fix that. I don't know how to, I don't know how you compete fast health food. Because every time I see people doing fast health food, what they're doing is putting a piece of lettuce around a, a piece of fried chicken and going, it's healthy, and they're lying. It's not. It's not good enough. Or like, or like Chick-fil-A and you get a grilled chicken sandwich and it's got as much sodium and it's, it's, it's like chicken isn't that high quality and you feel shit afterward regardless. Like I, I ate Chick-fil-A the other day and I felt shit a couple days later. And I think it's core, I think it's correlated. I think it's it's the sodium content and maybe some other shit. I'm not trying to be conspiratorial, but I think the I know that the food you put inside your body changes your life. It's part of why the tea thing matters is because you put tea in yourself and you're a different person. And if you eat burgers for a week, you're a different person than if, if you eat cherry berry kale smoothies for a week. You're different. You're totally different. So it's one of those things where it's like, I tried this and it worked for me and so... Maybe it might work for some of you, maybe. I hope. I think. I don't know. Okay. Seeing things from different perspectives. I had, over the last two days, I've had, and since I recorded last, I've had two great conversations. One of them I already mentioned. It was some of the conversations that I had with the child. He's two. Oh. He's getting smarter. And I had a, a conversation about the conversations about the child because I have been forcing my friend, and he'll see it differently. He sees it as himself doing it, but that's okay. I had to force him at first, and I keep reminding him, and I remind him every day, hey, have you read a page today? Hey, have you read a page today? Hey, are you, did you do your reading? I'm forcing him to read that book on child development, The Whole Brain Child, and he finished chapter one, and he texted me today when he was on his way home, and he went, hey, are you awake? I was like, yeah, I had sort of just woken up. I woke up kind of late today, which is an issue, and I have to be aware of it, but I woke up kind of late today. Hey, are you awake? Uh, and I go, yeah. I'm, I'll be home soon. We are going to talk about chapter one. It's like, okay, who, you mean let's talk about chapter one or I want to talk about chapter one, but I'm not going to say that. I'm not going not gonna to hamstring with you when you've got what you need. Yes, good. Let's talk, talk about chapter one. I'll be outside in the sunlight. And I got my shit underway and I went outside and I sat in the sunlight. And it took him a while. He, he came home and, and did some things with his kid because his kid is here. He got his kid set up with some, some drawing stuff outside and he's, he's doing all this shit for his son. He's making breakfast for him at the same time. It's like an unimaginable state for this man a year ago would have been fully without the help of any other person, fully being capable of taking, his son, taking care of his son and not calling his mom for help or not doing – and I'm not trying to insult him, but he wasn't there a year ago and he's there now. Or he wasn't there a month ago and he's there now and it's sick. He's got his table outside, his little kid's table outside and he's got papers and he's got drawing stuff and they're organized and the kid is talking to him and he's laughing and talking back with the kid and he's like, it's happening, it's happening. It's like, wow, wow, magic. And I take I take no credit for it, but I forced him to do it, and and I I led that the dumb horse to water, and now he's drinking, and he he knows, it and it's good for him. It's like the kid being like, "No, I don't want the cupcake." It's like, "Yeah, you do." And his dad was the same. He's like, "No, I don't want to. I don't want to do all these things." It's like, "Yeah, you do," and you're gonna be happier if you do, and you're gonna look back and go, "Gosh, I was so I'm so glad you made me go to the gym because a couple of years ago I made him go to the gym. I turned to him and I said, "We're going to the gym." We're going to the gym. What days can we go? It's like, you get to choose the days, but we're going. And it worked. And it's the same as, as him coming at me and being like, we're talking about the thing. It's like, yeah, okay. Good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take, take the idea that I gave you and run with it. Drink the water. It's yours. I, 
I didn't do that for you. You're doing it. You know, there's a there's a, an, an arrogance and a pride tendency in my brain to be like, yeah, but I get to take credit for it because I started him down this path. I showed you the way I made you. It's like, no, he made himself. I just pointed. I just pointed. Because he was in chaos, and I was like, there's a land of, of not this over there. Maybe go that way a little bit. And he went, nah. And he hemmed and hawed, and he went around in circles for years. And finally, finally, I got him convinced to just take a step in that way. And he was like, oh, it's slightly better. Oh, it's slightly better. And every step that he takes is he's stumbling in the direction of becoming a proper person. And I feel the same way about myself. Every step that he takes in the, in the proper direction is like, is like magic. And it's like, oh, oh, I was carrying so much weight and I didn't even realize. It. And oh, I don't have to fight with my family all the time. And oh, my son can love me. Oh, oh, and I don't have to hurt. And I can have a relationship with him and I can do the, oh my God, it's so magic. It's so beautiful. But he comes outside and he, he eventually gets his son set up and he talks to me about the book and he starts running through the ideas. And what he's doing is he's paraphrasing the ideas and re returning them to me, right? And it's a process of social, of social representation so that I can understand that he's understood the thing and he can prove to himself that he's understood the thing because I'll, I'll call him out when he, when he says something and I don't think it's quite the understanding of the thing, but he's repeating the examples and he's talking about how the book explains that if you don't, if you let a traumatic experience just sit and you don't evaluate it and don't let the kid figure out what happened and talk them through it and give them the words to explain it because that's a big idea in the first chapter of the book is name it to tame it. The kid's feeling all these crazy feelings. They don't know what they are. And you go, you're feeling frustrated. And the kid goes, yes. And you're going, you're feeling frustrated because you hit your knee. And the kid goes, yes, I was going over here and I put my knee down and it hurt. And you go, you put your knee down on the thing and it hurt you. And the kid goes, yes, somebody fucking gets it. Holy shit. And the kid gets it and they put the framework on and they're like, this was pain and this is frustration and I feel it and I've been it and I know what it is now and I have a label. And then the kid goes, cool, done, back to playing insane it works every damn time that i've seen it's, it's amazing or the kids like fucking fucking furious right out of their mind furious has no way of controlling themselves hates being this way and you look at the kid you go and the kid goes and, and you go you're angry this is angry and the kid goes oh that's what this is you know what this feels like you've been here before Oh, how do I get out? And you go, ah, and the kid goes, ah, oh, oh, okay, I'm out. And they're gone and they're off play. You're like, wow, we did it. Magic. It's magic. But what he's doing is the same process. What, what my roommate is doing is the same process. He's looking at me and he's going, this is family relationship? And I'm going, yes. Yes, correct. And he's going, this is family relationship. I'm going, yeah, man. You, yeah, you got it. If I, if I treat each situation where my kid is struggling like a, an opportunity to help him with the, the process of struggling instead of a particular problem that I need to solve, it's an, a symptom of the fact that there are problems and I could make my son good at solving problems. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
Exactly. And in the process, and, and I'll add things like this that he doesn't, he, he won't grapple with yet, but he'll get them eventually. In the process, you're getting better at the process too, because you're still a kid and you're still learning and you haven't figured it out completely and neither have I. So by, by, by learning from this book and reading this book that teaches you things that you don't know, you're getting more acclimated to the process of admitting that you don't know everything, admitting that there's interesting information out there, and, and using it to solve your problems. Because part of the process of solving problems is recognizing that there's a problem, and part of the process of solving problems is recognizing that you don't have the solution yet, and you've got to go look for it. And, and this is a man who was pretty stubborn about that and was like, no, I already know the answer. I am, I, he had this idea in his head that's like, I'm a good father. Well, are ya? Does a good father think themselves a good father? Because I think the best fathers are constantly thinking that they could be a better father. And I think that's the process that makes you a good, per a good father. I think maybe, maybe the best people are the people who go, I'm not a good enough person yet. But it's worth trying to become one. And so that's my ideal to some extent is, and the thing that I'm trying to align myself with, to some extent is the person who, in the face of my innate arrogance, because I'm innately arrogant, who in the face of my innate arrogance goes, I am not what I could be yet. But I don't think it's arrogant to say I could be almost anything. And the limits of my potential are unknowable until I try worthwhile worthwhile way of looking at it but i'm not good enough yet and so there are things that i must learn and i'm capable of doing them right the belief that you're capable of doing them is so important because this is a man who believed he believed a few a few weeks ago that he wasn't capable of even reading a book he actually didn't think he would be able to do it because i i bought him a book and i gave him the book and i was like you read the book and he went i don't know if i can that's rough and so you got to do it and it's going to hurt and maybe you can. But that was a fascinating conversation that I had today, partly with and about somebody much younger than me. Last night, our neighbors came over. We have a lovely pair of neighbors. They came over. They are older folks. Quite a bit older folks. I don't know exactly how old they are. I, I, would, I would guess early 70s. They are older folks. The man of the house is a soft-spoken man um, who likes to work with his hands but wasn't a, a, a wasn't exactly a carpenter or a, a handy worker i think he he ended up doing other things but but he he liked to work with his hands and likes tools um and you know uh, uh when we have gophers we go uh my the people who, who who own this place they go to him because he knows how to do gopher traps real well and, and he's he's competent at taking care of a yard and so they go and they ask him for help and that's, that's important, right? He's got some wisdom that they don't have and some skills that they don't have, and they go and they ask him for help. And that's, that's an ideal. That's, that's an idea is that the youth, youth, you know, they're, they're in their 40s and 50s, but they're, they're going and they're asking the, the wiser, older person for, for his help. And then when I have a problem, I go and I ask the wiser, older people for, for, the, for their help, you know? It's cool. It's, like, it's how it should be to some extent. But the reason I bring up his, his love of work to some degree is that the man... Uh, is distinguished in my mind by having large, strong hands. Uh, he's a lanky fella, uh, a thin, lanky fella, not super tall, a little hunched over, but but not super tall, not strong, bulky, but old man strong for sure. 
in a in a way but he's got big fuckers of hands i mean really big hands there's a there's a guy named odd haugen who's a competitive powerlifter who's known for having large hands and he was a, a grip strength athlete in a lot of ways and he trained his hands and his forearms to be really strong my neighbor has absurdly strong hands and he does it in very good fun and, and in good faith but he gives very strong handshakes and he isn't quite sure how strong he is he, he he actually thinks he's a lot weaker than he is he gives very strong handshakes and and i meet him with those strong handshakes and it's a it's a powerful experience to really shake hands with somebody man to man and and you can shake hands woman to man as well but broadly and generally men have stronger hands and upper bodies and forearms and and there's a thing that happens when two men not trying to crush each other not like a bully on the schoolyard or rolling the knuckles or doing anything stupid but you meet each other with a handshake and you go I'm strong and so are you neat it's like that that moment in the Schwarzenegger movie there's a reason that's a fucking meme where they go boom rawr. it's like mmm bond you know we, we do that it's, it's a thing I don't know I don't know how to explain it it's a thing it's been a thing in for humans for a long time to to shake hands or grasp hands or 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 say that we're in this together a little bit. And we talked about it in like touching gloves or or a fist bump before a fight. It's the same it's the same idea. But shaking hands is like sealing a deal. It's mutualistic, and it's like I think an extension of the handshake, which is a mutualistic balanced thing. And what does it feel like when it's not balanced? When one person is overbearing in a handshake, that's not good. And when somebody gives you a limp fish handshake, it's like they don't care about you. It's like they don't care enough to put the to put themselves on the line and to 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 meet you strength to strength and go, we're both sturdy. They're just like, nah, nah. So shake hands seriously. When you shake hands, it means something. If you read if you read the the older and and problematic in a lot of ways, I understand, book How to Win Friends and Influence People, it talks about this. Handshakes matter and there are reasons behind it. And the reasons that are that are speculated upon are sort of faulty and they're they're good enough, but they're not quite right. It's like it's older than that. It's older than that. And then, you know, in, in romance, in, in romance, my romance partner, um, in romance, we kiss and kissing is like handshaking chemically. I mean, really, you're sharing swapping spit, you're swapping compounds and stuff and pheromones and things and figuring out how they fit together. And it's, it's interesting. I don't know. I don't know enough to know about it. And then yeah, physical contact with other people is, is interesting. It's something that I'm investigating because, well, I don't get enough of it. And I, 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 I'm, I've become more open to it and that's good. And that's, that's working for me. And that's, that's helpful. And once I've figured some of it out, I'll tell you about it because maybe it'll work for you too. But I don't think I've figured it out yet, and so I'm not going to tell you too much about it because I don't know. I don't know. So he's one of my neighbors, the the man with the big hands and and the good handshakes. And it's about how he about how he acts. Um, he acts like somebody that you would expect would have a good handshake. He acts in in really good faith, and he's pretty calm and collected. And he thinks things through a lot before he speaks, and he's pretty wise from what I can see. He's got some wisdom, and he's an interesting fella, and I like him, and I like having him around. And I especially like having somebody a lot older than me around because he's got a perspective that's not mine. That's pretty cool. And he's got a wife, and she's a woman who's in quite a bit of pain pretty frequently. She's got some back pain and some hip pain, and she walks every morning at like 5.30 a.m., and sometimes the woman who lives with me uh, at, in this house goes and walks with her, and they're, they're quite good friends. 
or she's in pain quite often. And she's uh, she's a wild one uh, in a lot of ways. She's mellowed out as she's aged, as people do, and she's mellowed out as pain has taken some of her mobility from her and some of her ability to do what she wants to do in the world. But she's self-described as a wild thing, as as the kind of girl who would drop everything and go across the nation and do and, and be kind of crazy. That's how she talks about herself. Um, and I believe it and she's she's a little chaotic in her spirit and it's it's gorgeous and and she's she's wonderful and she's got these bright bright eyes um, that are that are often ringed by pain by the fact that she hurts all the time she's 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 made haggard she's weathered by the weather of the world she's she's weathered and um, and eroded by existence and existence hasn't been super kind to her but it's been kind enough that she's found a a man who's who's so sturdy that her chaos and his sturdiness in weird magnetic harmony seem to oscillate together and they've been together for a long time and they've had kids and their kids have grown up and moved out and they're alone in a big home next to us and i had a real talk with her with my neighbor the female neighbor last night I don't, again, I don't know how old, her, how old she is. I'd say 60s or, or early 70s. I had a real talk with her. Because she came in the door and she asked me, well, how are you? And instead of saying, well, fine, how are you? I said, excellent. And she said, well, why? And so I thought for a second and other people sort of said hi to each other. I thought for a second. I said, I'll, give me a second. I'll think about it. And I said something to the effect of, I am not just okay or fine, I am excellent because I have made some decisions about existence and I am organizing myself in order to accomplish some goals that I think are worthy and I am trying to organize the people around me to accomplish those goals and I'm attempting to, to generate some positive change in the world and I believe in it. Something, something like that in, in so many words. It was actually a little bit more eloquent when I said it. And she sort of, her eyes sort of went wide and she went, well, that sounds good. How are you doing that? And we started, we talked about a number of things and, and, and we meandered a bit. And I think, um, I was talking about the, the value that I find in stories and, uh, uh, my friend went, yeah, I learned that from Aragon, from the Aragon books. And I went, wow, yeah, the Aragon books, what an interesting series. And isn't it interesting that, that such a young man, Christopher Paolini, by the time he was 17, he published the book, right? He published Aragon and they went to publish the whole series. And those are like, like Harry Potter level mythological epics. Now you can say what you want about J.K. Rowling. I think she's horrible, but she wrote some books and some of those books are good books and the, the mythologies of Harry Potter are correct. A lot of them, they get frayed at the end and mythologies seem to get frayed at the end because people don't know how things end or should end. But they're correct at the beginning. Oh man, they're correct at the beginning. Harry as this put-upon, almost male Cinderella character destroyed by social expectations in a family that doesn't exist, and these, like, representative representations of a family that isn't his that represent society and culture and, and, and grand tradition and stuff, and he finds out that he's the chosen one because he's got a spark of evil inside of him because he's, he's scarred and marked by the by by monstrosity of of the the evil that we shall not represent and the fact that we do not ever talk about evil is part of the problem and he discovers that really he's got magic and he can use magic in the form of magic words and traditions in order to reshape the world around him it's like harry potter's good myth bad author wrote a good book book though 
seems seems like a familiar statement, right? Like, wow, sometimes bad authors write good books, and you got to be able to separate them. Or maybe maybe sometimes bad people are good authors, or sometimes good authors have bad ideas, something along those lines. But at least she didn't put too many of those bad ideas into her damn books, because then then we'd be in real trouble. Because when the mythologies start to when the mythologies become pathologies and ideologies, we start to fall apart. We need myths that tell good myths, not myths that tell ideological myths. Because ideologies are partial, they're parasitic. They're not complete. They're not complete. They're, they don't give you a full worldview. It's like Scar with the one arm that's tattooed and he can only destroy. That's ideological. It's partial. It's enough to do some stuff and it has power, but it's not enough. Like going out to the world and saying all systems are corrupt... And should be destroyed is an ideological part of you. It's all systems are corrupt. That's true. But it doesn't mean they should all be destroyed because systems create and generate value. So there's some balance between fixing and preserving and destroying and recreating and chaos and order. And, and it's duality and it's us and it's magnets and it's you and it's me and it's, it's the other and you. And it's the duality of existence. And the secret, I think... That the Tao the Taoists and the Buddhists and the Hindus and the Christians and the, the the Muslims and the Jews before them all figured out is that there really shouldn't be a difference. That we're that there's non-duality. That when you find the balance between the things and represent that all things are part of another thing, and that north magnets are part of south magnets, and that you actually can't have one without the other because they're two sides of the same thing. Right? Like, like you look at a magnet that's labeled north, the other side of it is south, man. Always. There's another side to it, and it's pointed in the other direction. And, and actions have, 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 every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And there's something fundamental about that balance in our world. To know exactly what it is, we don't know. But we know that there is this phenomenon that is magnets, and it works, sort of. And it's like we know that there's this phenomenon that is gravity, and it works, sort of. And so you can look at that as like, well, material hierarchicalism or mystical hierarchicalism is like saying, well, the universe organizes things into larger ordered things, and so organizing things into larger ordered things is the way of things. And it's like, actually, yes, I think so, actually. I, I, do, I do think that, but I, I'm more into magnets than I am into gravity. And I think gravity is more chaotic than magnetism. I think we're fundamentally more like magnets than we are like orbs. <laughs> Fucking stupid shit. I, I understand. Okay, so let's back up because this is the stuff that I got criticized for. I live in a speculative world. I exist speculatively. I'm constantly spinning off ideas about what might be. And I will present them sometimes improperly. I might present them as, I think this is the way that it is. Or I might even say, this is the way that it is. That's because I'm so deep into my own speculation that I'm not taking the steps back from it to, to couch everything in the wording that would make it perfectly accurate. And I apologize for that. I'm not perfect, and it's okay to call it out, and that's, that's good. But don't dismiss it just because it's speculation. It's speculative. And I'm putting it out there to be dismissed once argued against, right? I put out a hypothesis and, and I, I try to organize the patterns of reality around the hypothesis like, I wonder if this, this helps anything else fit into place. And if it does, then maybe there's something in the hypothesis that's useful. 
And if it doesn't at all, and you don't see it at all, you can say that to me, but that doesn't mean that it's invalid. It means that it might not be valid for your experience. And that's something that I need to know, because it might be valid for my experience and not yours. And so it might only be partially true and only in certain circumstances. And I want to get closer to when, when it's really true and when it's really not. And then I can dismiss it. Because because once I have one of those ideas, I'm going to follow it until until I figured out whether it's dismissible. And the same goes for the scientific method of, of providing hypotheses and and attacking them. That's how we science, okay? We provide a dumb hypothesis, right? And then we, we go and we seek out the evidence not to support it, but the evidence against it, okay? We, we seek out the evidence against it, and I'm, I'm doing that by speaking because people are inevitably going to, to give me the evidence against it. Because, because I think commenters are far more likely to comment on something when they disagree with it than when they agree with it. Because they want to get the magnets into alignment. <laughs> I think we all actually want this. We all want to understand if we're, if we're acting in good faith. And this happens in every, every discussion that I have where I act in really good faith and the other person is, is acting in good faith as well. They'll argue a point and I'll argue a point. And they'll argue a point, and I'll argue a point, and they'll argue a point about the point, and I'll argue a point about the point, and I'll argue a point about the point, and they'll argue a point about the point, and eventually I'll come to a better understanding and restatement of what their point is, and they'll come to a better understanding and restatement of what my point is, and both of us come to an understanding of what each other's point is, and then we come to something that's like, yeah, I suppose that this part of my point is not correct, but I still think this part of your point is not correct, and then together, your point makes sense in this circumstance, and my point makes sense in this circumstance, and together, these two seemingly totally contradictory points are not actually mutually exclusive, and both of them are true from different perspectives and different layers, and it's not that, that, that one of them is true and one of them is not, and it's not that part of one is true and part of one is not necessarily, it's that both are true at the same time despite being contradictory, and that's okay. And that's true about almost everything. The south magnet and the north magnet click together and they form a big, bigger magnet that is still south and north. Weird. I don't know why it works that way. We don't understand magnets very well. If we did, maybe we'd understand the universe a little bit better. Because I think, I think, stupid, illogical, mystical statement, I think that you're a big, complicated magnet and it's all you are. And that's a ridiculous to say that's all you are because you're the arrangement of that magnetism. But every, every subatomic particle inside of you is either in balance or out of balance with the particle that is its particular pair. And they seem to be entangled to some weird degree. And then they're in balance. And then the, the, the atoms themselves are balanced pairs of, of positive and negative energy or something and when they're in balance they matter and they become physical and they can organize with other pairs of things that are in balance and are physical and when they're when they're out of balance they take and they destroy they they create chaos that's what ions do when you have a an an an, an atom that has too many or too few electrons compared to the number of protons and neutrons that it has it, it takes from other things and destroys them or it gives to other things and it destroys them and it causes chaos so maybe balance is better because it seems more stable like physically materially stable is balance and being out of balance seems to harm the people around you because you're in chaos. And this seems true about people, people. And it's why I think that there's some fractal representation going on. is because you as an atomic person, if you're out of balance, you're going to cause harm. and You're going to take too much or give too much to or from the people around you in the myriad infinite ways that you take and give. Because those words are too broad, but, but myriad infinite ways. For example, 
The woman who lives here is too self-sacrificing from my perspective, and it hurts her, so she's taking and giving too much of herself to everybody else. It hurts her in the short term because she's giving too much and she feels resentful about it, but it hurts everybody around her, and it hurts her her children because they don't learn to, to stand stably themselves. They're out of balance because they're constantly getting given the gift of a clean home, for example, by their by the parent unit. And that's maybe not correct. And it's maybe harming them and maybe harming her too. So maybe there's something fundamental about balance that should be sought. And maybe we can learn that from atoms. Okay, so the atoms in balance can then form balanced pairs and and and, and any unity of structures and form crystal structures and, and weird representations because atoms solidify themselves and 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 meld into compounds that are infinitely more complicated than we would expect just looking at the simplicity of atoms once they form the periodic table of balanced elements then they can click together in myriad complicated ways sort of like when a person understands who they are and what they're doing in the world they can interact with other people in a way that's effective so if you say i'm going to become a therapist for example you can interact with the systems of, of dealing with that and the people around you and, and yourself and everything in order to organize yourself toward that goal. And if you go, if you go, I'm not trying to date anyone right now, you can organize yourself and your interactions with all the people around you to fit that goal. And if you go, I'm trying to find a significant other right now, you, you lock in what you are and who you are and how you're balanced and what you're aimed at. So like the, the, the self and, and, your magnets, you align them in a way, and you start going and seeking a mate, right? And you start interacting with with people that you're interested in in a different way than if you're not seeking a significant other. So how you are determines how you act, and how an atom is determines which other atoms it can bond with, because some atoms can bond with each other and others can't. Like hydrogen and two oxygens can bond with each other really stably, and that's a really stable bond between a couple of a couple of atoms and it forms a molecule that's fundamental to our existence called water and that's that's interesting it's weird but it's not two oxygen atoms bonding together it's it's a hydrogen and two oxygens and that's weird and it but it works and when you get down to the fundamental math it's defined by the properties of the atoms themselves the properties of the atoms define what structures they can go into okay cool so we can get these more complicated compounds molecules and then molecules can combine with all the other molecules to become even more complicated. And we get these like ring structures and base structures and and weird sections and 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 phenols and, and all these complicated and alcohols and all these complicated structures of chemistry, which is so complicated and interesting. And those can fold together into things that have order not on just one dimension, but are folded across multiple dimensions, like proteins are are so complicated as molecules. And part of their complication is the medium that they're in and the way that they're folded and their actual spatial representation. I think of it as the protein carries a bunch of data in the form of the atoms and the types of atoms and the, the, the way that they are. But then it carries a bunch of data in the structure of those atoms. Like a sentence has a bunch of words in it, but if you mangled up the, the words, the sentence wouldn't mean anything as a sentence, but all the words would still contain as much meaning as the uh, uh, as they contain. So if the, the, the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog is a, is a sentence that has exactly the same amount of meaning as all the words in the sentence, but then by putting it in a specific arrangement, it gets a whole new transcendent level of meaning because it's all one sentence that means something, right? And if you take the, the words and you go, the fox, quick, jump, 
dog lazy the like whatever it is right you mangle it up well it only maintains the information of the individual words but the information of the whole no longer means as much because it's not in a proper arrangement so something about the, the arrangement matters and that's true of proteins and then the arrangement that they're in determines how they're folded and they fold themselves which is crazy and we we've been trying to use computers to figure out how proteins fold themselves for a decade and we haven't done it it's crazy we, it's way beyond our our, our understanding but proteins form into complicated molecules, and then we take some really complicated molecules, and we take one that's one way and one that's another way, and we link them together, and that's one bit. That's one bit, one binary zero-one pair of the information that determines what you are. That is your genes. It's one hyper-complicated, proteinaceous, folded, complex structure paired with another. And we have four types of those structures and two types of pairs. And they could be in any arrangement of, of left, right, right, left. And they can lock together into, into unison and form a, a code. And when we unzip that code and read it with a, a weird protein structures that we don't understand how they work, we can repeat it and we can copy it. And it, it manifests all of you. Every single part of you is manifested by the complexities of that multi-layered, twisted, then multi-folded, fractalized, hyper-complicated protein arrangement that is your genetic code. And we have no idea how most of it works. We just barely know that it exists. But I, I believe that there's something about that that's, that's compellingly a good argument for interacting with the world in certain ways. And there are useful things that we can extrapolate from the, the fundamental things that we do know, or at least think we know, about our base level existence that could be extrapolated out and useful for determining how to exist. Because you as a person are kind of like an atom and if you view yourself as such maybe it would behoove you to be in balance between negativity and positivity and maybe it would be behoove you to be in balance in every complicated way that you're not in balance because are, are you currently in balance between your waking life and your sleeping life are your dreams in balance with your with your actions um is your physical existence in balance with your digital existence is your is your desire to pursue things that are fun in balance with your willingness to pursue things that are difficult is your amount of amount of pleasure in balance with your amount of pain maybe i don't know if that's a thing to strive for but it might be it might be especially you know if you're in a lot of pain the idea that being totally out of pain uh, uh, would exist is seems impossible, but maybe it could be in more balance. You could have a little bit more pleasure and a little bit less pain, and that might be worthwhile, and maybe that's a thing to achieve. You know, physically, it's true, too. A lot of the physical pain that I've been in has literally been because of a, an imbalance. I was lifting my deadlifts like this, and so one side of my body was twisted this way, and one side was twisted this way. And then I was putting a weight on it, so I was existing in the world in difficult circumstances in a way that wasn't in balance. And it's caused me a lot of harm. It's caused a lot of my musculature and a lot of my systems in my back, which is way more complicated than I thought it was, honestly. I've learned a lot about, a lot about the physica physicality of the human form, and I've got some more respect for it than I did. Because I, sort of, I sort of, about a year ago, I had this idea that, like, well, we're all just sort of dumb meat space, and this stuff isn't that cool. This shit isn't that cool. It's kind of boring, and I wish we could just be digital all the time. And man, I've grown, and it's odd that pain has been the thing that's shown me, but I've grown some respect for my physicality and for my physical body and for, I feel beautiful.
just just in terms of being human, I don't mean like more beautiful than other people, but I, I've been looking at other people and finding them beautiful too. In the ways that they think, in the ways that they act, in the ways that they move, in the ways that they do, in the physicality that they experience, in the expressions of it that they show, I find myself looking at people, men and women and, and, and anyone, and just going, wow, you're really cool. You fucking like exist and shit. What is that? And I can't even understand you. I can't even see. It's like Picasso with the painting. I can't even see one fragment of what you are. And yet I still think you're amazing. And I, you know, I look at, I look at myself in the mirror sometimes and I'm like, wow, I can be amazing. And I'm becoming amazing. It's like my body is shaped in a different way than it was a little while ago. And it looks cool. And it feels good. It feels cool. Maybe that's what I should do for tomorrow's one of these is just is just take stock of where I'm at physically and get a video representation of like how flexible am I? How strong am I? How sturdy am I? What do I look like? Uh, and, and just because I, I haven't shared like my physicality on on this part of my life on the YouTube channel and and like I, I, I'd like to maybe and I don't know if that would be weird. I feel like it might be weird and, and people might be disgusted by it. I've always felt weird about showing myself off, but but I think I might be beautiful and maybe I should maybe I should like lean into that. It feels wrong. It feels like it feels like judging other people. But but it, it yeah, it feels wrong. It feels arrogant, right? It feels it feels arrogant to revel in the sort of glory of my own existence. And yet, the people that I admire the most, I think, are the ones who seem most comfortable with their own existence. And not just comfortable, but, like, joyfully reveling in it. That's something for me to think about outside of this. Oh my god. I've gotten so far off topic. I talked to this woman at, uh, uh, last night. And I told her what I was doing, and her eyes kind of opened up. But we, we talked about Aragon and, and books, and... And how much we found from them. We talked about uh, uh, the author and how young he was, and and how you know I sort of spieled a little bit about how I find that stories and mythologies are really compelling, and I feel like people don't have them enough, and 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 our our youth are are lacking something fundamental that organizes us in the world and lets us lets us stories are are tools and they're bulwarks against the pain and chaos of existence, and they teach you some of how to be, and and then she started expressing and she talked about. I wrote them down, but but a couple of a couple of stories or series that she really likes, and she was like, "Yeah, I've all oh, so you're a reader?" And she, uh, to both me and my friend, we were both going, "Yes, we are readers." And she went, "Whoa, me too!" And I have never seen her more animated and excited. Her eyes, every bit of pain was gone from them. They lit up, and the 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 wrinkles and crow's feet around her eyes lit up as her forehead opened up and her eyes opened up and i saw this brilliant bright beautiful woman living inside this shell that she hates and i watched her open her eyes up and go oh, a person who i could talk to about something that i care about ah and and she couldn't stop herself and it was amazing it was beautiful and and it was this um, this bursting forth of this woman who i i don't think anybody's asked her an interesting question in a couple of years and she's got some interesting thoughts and she's a smart lady and she's been thinking well for a couple of years and she doesn't have anybody to share them with and she doesn't have anybody who it might who who she might even think is worthy of sharing them with 
and I got her to share them with me. And so she shared about about the book series that she reads and read and this one book series in particular this one author who who really compelled her when she was younger and she's come back and she's read this book series over and over and over um um let me let me go and find who it is because i i've put the books in my cart and i'm gonna go read some of them because they're interesting and they are not books aimed at me because immediately when i looked at them i looked at the books and i was like okay yeah these are some smut dog these are some sexy sexy books diana gabaldon she wrote the outlander series she wrote the Outlander series since 1991 and and up through to now, and uh, this lady loves them. But you look at them and it's like on on every cover it's like strong man with with woman and her bodice is a little open and it's like okay well, I get where we're going with this. These are these are mythological pair mating ritual stories to some extent, and they're about romance and finding what kind of what kind of engaged pair you might be wanting to be a part of, and some stuff about that, and, and how does a woman organize herself in the world in, in this one woman story time representation, and why did that compel this other woman that I know, and why does, why does she, why is she so compelled by it that she sees fit to share it with all of her female friends, and she kept doing this thing where she would go, well, I would share it, I would share it with my friends, you know, mostly women, and I'm like, yeah, mostly women, because you're compelled by this story. And I'm like, wow, thank you. A window into something that I would have never found on my own, right? Because I'm a boyo. And when I walk through the library or I walk through the bookstore, the stories that have a man and a woman going like, ah, romance on the cover, don't compel me at all. But they compel you, and so I need to figure that out. She told me about the uh, the Outlander series and and how compelled she was by it, and I went, well, thank you. Well, fucking, fucking thank you. Oh, and she did, uh, there's also something else. Her body language shifted as she became very uncomfortable, as she realized that she had just recommended to a couple of young men a couple of books that had some real, like, female perspectives on sex in them, some and some, like, some dirty, smutty shit in them, and she realized it, and she sort of started to fiddle with with how she's sitting and started to become uncomfortable. Well, they're, they're a little bit sexual. I don't know if maybe I should have recommended I'm going no no that's fine that's fine and I said something that that is true and I will represent I, I represented it in broad stroke generalizations but broad stroke generally speaking it's true and I said I think that men and women are equivalently sexual and she went well okay maybe and I said I think that in broad generalized strokes men are more visual and women are more imaginative does that does that ring true with you I said, I think this thing from my dumb perspective, I'm a dumb young man who hasn't met that many women and doesn't know that much shit. What do you think, wise older woman who has seen a lot more of the world and has a deeply different perspective than I do? And she went, well, well, maybe it is certainly true that when I pick up a book and I start reading these things, they're real to me and I see them. And I went, wow, that's interesting because I do too, but sometimes I have to struggle to make those representations happen. And we figured out this thing that at least for us individual individuals, but something that can be extrapolated out because studies have been done, effective and interesting studies, at least for us individual individuals, it seems correct that I might be more compelled by visual media and you might be compelled more by literature and written media because it sparks your imagination in a way that lets you take control of it. And maybe maybe men are more visual and women are more, more, more uh, literary. Broad general strokes, they don't seem to be untrue though and it seems to be something useful to know. Useful to know. 
well, it might be useful for teaching people things. It might be useful for expressing things to different audiences. It might be, here's a broad generalization. First off, shonen anime is more popular, I think, than, than most other forms of anime. Most anime, broadly, largely, is aimed at men and boys. Because it's maybe because it's a visual medium, and that's not to say that there isn't a broad scope of other things, and it's not to say that that's, that's the only reason. There are massive social ramifications and all that stuff. Maybe some of it is biological, though. Maybe some of it is a difference. And, and maybe if you want to reach more young men, doing so through a visual medium is a better idea. And maybe if you want to reach more young women, doing so through through literature and quotes and text is a good idea. I know a lot of men who follow bodybuilders, and I know a lot of women who follow poets. Maybe we idealize and look for different things. Maybe it would be useful to know that. I don't know. I'm not saying that it is this way. I'm saying maybe if we were to be will if we were willing to, even though genre fails, even though genre fails as a convention and there's overlap in everything and sci-fi verges into thriller and thriller verges into sci-fi and you can't draw hard lines, genre is still useful because you want to know what movie to watch. And when you go, I want to watch something sort of sciency and sort of socially and sort of scary, then we go, well, that's sort of like thrillery sci-fi. What's in the Venn diagram between these broad strokes generalizations where you might fit and what you want out of tonight for a movie might fit? And then we find what that is. And that could work. And maybe maybe being willing to to throughout these hypothetical generalizations and observe them and, and criticize them as though they're hypotheses and not statements of fact. And I saw, I'm sorry if I make them as though they're statements of fact. And I try not to do so unless I've got some real scientific grounding in it. And it's like, it's like I've made some statements in fact of fact about how atoms work and how, how physics works and how biology works and how chemistry works. And I think I should, I should take a step back and explain something because, because when somebody starts expounding the nature of reality, people start to, to cock an eyebrow a little bit. I don't know that I know all of these things, but I have been reading about 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 science about chemistry and biology i am compelled by biology i have been since i was very young and i've been reading about it and exploring it since i was seven reading texts about it since i was seven i read my first medical dictionary when i was 13 medical dictionary i read it when i was 13 okay and I've been doing that since. And I've had a few years in the last few years where I've been pursuing things that aren't quite aligned with what I need to learn about the world. And so I'm rusty. And so I'm rusty. But I have significant formal training in genetics. I wanted to become a geneticist. I have significant formal training in biology. I am, I am a state uh, 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 winner of science fairs in California in biology. <sighs> okay? I, I've been doing this for a while. I, I also, it's funny, I re-met my, uh, my biology teacher, uh, my science teacher from middle school. It was so fun that I, that I met this guy again because he's, he's somebody that I, like, I knew him pretty well and he drove me to science fair competitions, like IEEE uh, science fair comp competitions and, and, and really helped me with a lot of things and, and was a, a cool guy that I looked up to. And I see him because he works out at my fucking gym. And, and... I saw him there and I, I was, it was like a year ago. I saw him there and he works out frequently. We see each other and we say hi, we talk about stuff. I, I saw him and I went, Mr. B? 
Mr. B? I went, I'm sorry, I, uh, who, who are you, basically? And I told him who I am, and he went, whoa, you're not like you at all. You're not like yourself at all. You were like a skinny little scared kid, and you're, you're not that? What the fuck happened? It's like, well, I don't know, man. I don't know, maybe you helped me. But, but I've, been, I've been on a path, right? So, okay, so I'll explain some things. I was on a path to become a, a serious geneticist for a while, and I took some, some, some very interesting courses, um, um, summer courses at UC Berkeley um, um, on genetics through, through a fantastic program run by Johns Hopkins University, who run a nationwide uh, institution for, stu- for, for school, younger school, school kids. Basically, you get to take a, your summer and you go to a college campus and you live there for a couple of weeks in dorms with people when you're in middle school and high school amazing experience for children be force them to live outside of their family for a while live live with other people live with roommates also acclimates your children to the process that they're going to have to realize when they hit adulthood which is that they need to move the fuck out of your house because they need to to be able to form a strong foundation and we live in a system at least in the united states where that's not feasible because homes cost too much and that's a problem that we need to solve but fantastic system you you go and you live uh for a number of weeks and again let me say i'm very privileged to have been able to do these things but i still did these things and i learned them and i can use them as tools okay you live for a number of weeks and you do a full semester accelerated college course for children over the course of like three weeks where you spend eight hours a day basically doing doing school but you're only doing one subject in three weeks so it's like it's like hyper fast school it's hyper condensed and it's awesome. And you, the some of the experiences that I've had there are some of the best experiences that I've ever had. Um, um, I think it's called CTI, CTY, Center for Talented Youth, a 501c3 nonprofit organization founded to identify the next generation's brightest minds and provide them with educationally enriching, intellectually challenging, and socially rewarding experiences. We actively recruit and support students from all communities, regardless of race, culture, gender, identity, and expression, twice exceptionality or income level. Um, yeah, so that's me, okay? I'm one of those brightest minds, and I was sought out, and I had the means to go, and I went, and I did my studies on Latin, and I did my studies on genetics, and I did my studies on biology, and I did my studies on social change, and that's part of the reason that I've spent so much time with homeless people, is because I did programs where they took a bunch of privileged kids from across the world, some of whom, like, one of the kids who was in my group was the son of a Saudi oil baron, and we became pretty good friends, okay? And we went out into the streets of of downtown, fucked up, crack addict on a corner San Francisco together as children and they made us what an awesome program okay so 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 people pretty frequently on this channel people will make comments that's like wow you've done this and you've been there and you've done all of these things like you must be lying about these things i'm not i i I really try not to lie about anything and i really try to when i'm when i'm talking about a field that i don't know anything about i'll try to say so but there are a lot of fields that i know way more than you think i know about and that's an arrogant thing to say and i recognize it and i probably know way less about all those fields than i'm saying so, do you see the humility bound to the arrogance here? There's confidence and competence here, and there's humility. I know that I don't know everything, but I also know that I know a lot of things, and I've had some experiences that I am lucky to have had, and that a lot of people my age have never had. Like, how many people have spent two weeks in the Galapagos Islands looking at stuff? Because I have. 
I have been scuba diving there. I've looked at it. I've been to the places where Darwin went. We had a conversation about Darwin today, and it was like, well, how many of you who are talking to me about Darwin have actually read on the origin of species? And the answer was not that many. And some of them had, and their arguments were better. And that's good, and more people should read it. And I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm, not, I'm really not. I'm being a dick, but I'm not doing it to try to be. Not to try to be. But I've been to the been to the, the the Gemini Observatory in the Atacama Desert in Chile, and I've seen some really awesome tech that some scientists are working on, and it's cool. And I've been to 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 cities across Chile, and they're interesting and they're different than here. And I've been to cities in Peru, and I've been to cities in Ecuador, and I've lived in Oaxaca in Mexico, and I've I've lived in a lot of places, and I've been to a lot of places, and I've hiked in the mountains in Alaska and Canada, and I've been a lot of places, and I've done a lot of things, and. All of that pales in the comparison to the amount that I have read, because I have read a lot, and I've been reading for a long time, and I've been reading voraciously and complicated texts since I was seven. Because that's about when my dad started forcing me to read them, and, and forcing me in a way that maybe wasn't the best, but man, it worked to some degree, and some of it stuck, and some of it is memory. So, so when I talk about, like, well, I think the universe is fundamentally about order and balance... I mean that on an atomic level, and I've had the training and the, the physics lessons and lectures to, to understand that that seems to be correct. And if you've got the physics knowledge to, sh to show me and tell me that that's not the way that it is, come at me and tell me, because I'd love to know. I'd love to know more than I know. But I, I think I know enough to say that with some certainty. And I think I know enough to say some of the things about genes and genetics with some certainty. And I know enough to say that your genes do determine who you are to a large extent. And we don't understand enough to know how. We just know that they kind of do. And we're really figuring it out. And we're working really hard to figuring it out. And, and our ability to map the human genome is pretty recent. And we don't even know what that map looks like. It's like if we had just invented the ability to make maps. Okay? <laughs> We just invented the, the ability to make maps, and what happened when we invented the ability to make maps was a whole bunch of people made a bunch of really shitty maps. And they tried really hard, and they were really bad at it, but some of them were slightly better and more useful than others, and, and the, the ship's captains who looked at the maps that were slightly more useful than others didn't get their ships crashed upon the rocks. That was pretty good. And so we're figuring out maps of our genetic code, and maps of our physicality, and maps of biology, and maps of science, and maps of understanding, and maps of meaning and un ways of understanding the world and we're figuring them out we're doing them dumbly and stupidly at least I am because I'm admitting that I'm dumb and stupid but we're figuring them out and, and the more you know the more you can figure out and so I want to express this in hopefully a way that comes through as humble I don't know if I'm capable of it I'm trying there are some things that I know the, uh, that I know about that I know that I know about and again, I know enough to know that I don't know nearly enough about them. But I can talk to some of these things. I can speak to some of these, these truths about reality. And it's going to take, take some convincing on certain fundaments of my beliefs about the, the world that are, that are scientific and well-validated and have been trained into me since I was a very young. It's going to take a lot to get me to question them. But I'll hold on to them as loosely as I can, and I'll try to hold your ideas in unison with them, and I'll see if there's some kind of magnetic magnetic pairing, because most of my ideas aren't complete, and to claim that they would be would be wrong. 
I had somebody the other day get really, really upset in a comment at me, and we resolved it very quickly. It resolved in like two back and forth, really, qu really quickly. But they got really upset in a comment with me, and they basically went, It's so stupid for you to say that you understand Gurren Lagan. Like, how dare you? You haven't even seen Ashitano Joe, and there's no way you could totally understand Gurren Lagan when you haven't even seen the foundations. And my answer was, I don't claim to understand it completely. I, I claim to understand some parts of it, and I'm speaking about the things that I understand and trying to speculatively speak about the things that I don't understand, and I'm inviting you and welcome you to share your opinions about those things so that I can understand better because I recognize that I don't. And basically the person came back and went, oh, sorry, I guess I misinterpreted. I really care about this show. Cool. And then I'm pretty sure that they start, they, they, they subscribed to my Patreon within like five minutes. It was like, well, there you go. <laughs> there's, there's an answer. So what can we take as an answer from that? Well, maybe being humble and knowing that you don't know everything is okay. Maybe people are too quick to, to, to say that by saying that something is so, you're saying that you understand everything and that is not the case. I say that the world is made of atoms, and I say that atoms are balanced pairs. That doesn't mean that I understand all of physics. Not even close. I'm not even that good at it. I'm not very attuned to physics. I'm more attuned to biology. And I'm not that attuned to biology either. I'm more attuned to words. Because I'm really linguistically talented. I got a big Wernicke's area. I'm good at accents. I don't know why. I'm good with languages, and I haven't been pursuing that effectively because I don't have a system of learning languages. But it would be, you know what would be really good is, is, is if over the next year I could just learn Japanese completely. That might be really good. I should dedicate myself to that goal. I saw a video that I that stuck in my mind that I know I need to watch because I've I've gotten useful things from this person before. I don't know anything uh, about whether this person's fucking canceled or whatnot. But but um uh, Huberman has a video about language and learning language, and and so I'm gonna go watch that video, and it's it'll talk about the neurology of how to learn a language, and maybe I'll learn how to learn a language, and then maybe I'll decide that learning Japanese as a whole, at least as a spoken language. Because I'm already so close as a spoken language. I've had four, again, I've had Japanese classes from a Japanese-speaking Japanese professor who forced us to speak in Japanese like a good professor might. Um, um, so I've had some formal training in it, and that's why, to some extent, I understand it better than most people who just watch anime, and that's their only understanding of Japanese. But I'm nowhere near fluent. I'm okay at comprehending, but but not when it's full fluidity, and, and I'm not speech-worthy, and I can't write, and I can't really read. So I should fix that. But, but, that's, but that's it. When I say that I do understand X, I don't mean that I understand everything. I'm a stupid idiot with one set of eyes, barely. And I can barely see the world around me. I can barely put myself into order. And I'm in pain all the time, so some of the things that I'm doing aren't working properly. And there, there are a bunch, of, a bunch of pathological activities that I take part of that, that are like wrong for me and that are hurting me, right? But I'm ironing them out as best as I can, and I'm recognizing as best as I can that I'm not whole, and I'm moving towards something better. And I think that I take evidence that some of it is better from the fact that some of the people around me are getting better, and they seem to be getting better in relation to me. And the amount that I get better seems to reflect into the way that they get better, because I, I, I'm able to help them more. The better I am and the more stable I am, the more stable I'm capable of being for others. And, and others maybe need that. I don't know. It seems, it seems like I, I think I could have needed that when I was less stable. If I'd had a more stable person around me who was willing to help me, that would have helped me. So maybe I could do that. Maybe that would work. I talked with the, the, the woman who's my neighbor. We talked about books and about her love for certain types of books and about 
about sex and sexuality and differences between between us as individuals. But also, you know, she's got a lot of a lot of um, well, she's lost a lot of them, but she's had a lot of girlfriends. Certainly more girlfriends than I have, and she certainly knows herself better than I know her. So she's got she's got some angle and perspective on being female that I'm never gonna have, and on life in general that I'm never gonna have. And so I found it fascinating to talk to her and to learn from her. And gosh, it taught me something else about people, which is that man, if you just look somebody in the eyes and take them seriously and listen to them, it's like it's like putting a balm or a a balm on a wound because the first thing that 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 happened when I were like really engaged with her and really looked her in the eye and was like no we're talking man we're going to we're going to have a conversation now was like a fear it was like whoa what and then the second thing was like oh, yes ah relief and it's sort of like the uh, the feeling of pain and ro- rolling something out with a foam roller or 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 like putting a bandage on a wound maybe it's like it hurts at first and then it's relief it's like medicine that hurts and then it's worth it no that's a bad analogy this here's what it's like when my when one of our cats gets really riled up because maybe there's another cat in their territory they'll get all, all puffed up and scrunchy and the, their tail will puff up and they're stuck in that mode and they're like and you touch the cat and the cat goes <gasps> and jumps a little bit at your touch and then you pet the cat and the cat slowly whoa I think paying attention to people is like that. I think it's like that. I think when you really pay attention to people and you take them seriously, they go, whoa, and they jump a little bit because they're like, they're not used to it a little bit. Mostly. I don't think people pay enough attention to each other. Broad, general, whatever. I don't think people pay enough attention to each other. I think maybe if you paid more attention to the people around you, you would understand them better and could live with them better. And maybe you wouldn't hate them so much. People, people don't really, I, I don't think people pay enough attention to each other. And certainly enough attention has not been paid to my neighbor. Because as soon as I paid attention to her, she like unruffled and became alive. And she said something near the end of, and I'll, I'll make this near the end of this whole discussion. I know it's been a little rambly. I'm sorry. I'm working on it. I, I don't know. These are some complicated ideas that I'm grappling with, and I don't know them in fullness. I don't know them at all. I'm just grappling. It's a, it's a wrestling match, and sometimes I'm on top, and sometimes I'm on the bottom. And sometimes the ideas are taking hold of me, and I'm not in control. But she said, she said something. She said, she said, you know, we're alone. My kids all grew up and, and moved away. They all had their own reasons. They decided on what they wanted to do and where they wanted to be, and it wasn't here, and we're, we're still here. And we feel so alone. And it, it hurt me to hear her say that. She's a, a lovely person who deserves some socialization and to, to have a society around her. And this era of COVID is not good for people, I don't think. You know, the people who are attuned to technology, we've figured out ways around it, right? We, we talk to each other on our discords and our slacks and our, our we, we FaceTime and we Zoom and we figure out ways around it ways to adapt and she doesn't have those i mean she might we might be able to 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 train her to to zoom call with with her family and that might be really worthwhile and now that i've had the thought i'm gonna write it down just just to make sure 
that she's doing it because it might ease some of her pain because she's in pain about her family not being near her. We're so alone. Our kids have left. And she said, I don't get to watch my grandkids grow up. And I get to sit here and I get to watch other people watch their grandkids grow up. And she's talking about the family that lives in this house, right? Because the, the woman that lives here is a grandmother and she's younger than, than the woman that I'm talking about. She's younger, but there, she's got a grandson in the house. And the kid's running around. And, and the grandson loves our neighbors. They've got a pool and they love having him over and they let him come over and they... I mean, they, they light up when he's around because he's the future and he's a kid and he's like their kids when they were kids and they like kids and they want them to do well and they're like, yeah, kid, come play in our pool. And it's like, this is for the kids' benefit. That's some bullshit. This, is, this saves the lives of those people because they, it reminds them that there's meaning in the world a little bit. And it's easy to forget there's meaning in the world when you're alone because meaning seems to come for a lot of people. For most people, you seem to be able to find meaning in other people and not in yourself so much. She said, I'm lonely and my friends have gone away and, and I, get, I watch other people watch their grandkids grow up and I don't get to get it. It's, wow. I'm so alone. You know, and she said, I have all of my friends and some of them have moved on and some of them have moved on like wow yeah you you know she's looking at her life and her life is this wild roller coaster ride of ups and downs and twists and turns because as she said she's she's a wild child a wild thing who did wild stuff throughout her life and she's looking at her life and in some ways she's coming up over the last hill of the roller coaster and that's how she feels is like maybe it's all downhill from here and maybe there's no point and maybe i'm just gonna hurt more and maybe she is because she's already in pain that I can't fathom because it's constant. And I've gotten a little dose of it over the last few days because I've been in sort of chronic-y, constant-y pain. I think I broke a rib, essentially. And, and it's been, you know, I talked about it being my quadratus lumbar, and it is, my lumborum, and it is. But I think I also broke a rib. I think I cracked a, a floating rib because it, it sort of crackles when I put pressure on it and it hurts right in the space where my floating rib is and it seems to be attached. It's getting better. It's not permanent. I'm resilient enough to recover. And she's got some injuries that are chronic and they just get worse. And her health is just failing. And it was really, I think it was a really, I had a, a moment with this woman that I think is going to change my life. It is, I think it's already changed my perspective because I forgot about it. And I think as, as a youthful person, I have a tendency to dismiss the aged. And I think as youthful people, we have a tendency to dismiss the aged. Because there's the statement, society grows great when old men plant trees that they will never experience the shade of. But I think society also fails if young men and women forget about the wisdom and the seeds of knowledge carried for generations by their forebears. Because your forebears, the people who are older than you, have done this before. And maybe they have some stuff that you could learn from. And maybe you shouldn't dismiss them whole cloth. Now, they should learn from you. But a tree that's already grown, it's really hard to make it regrow in a different direction. And older folks have set their roots down already, and they're, they're as solid as they can be. And, and maybe, maybe there's something to learn from that. And maybe you should plant, plant like live in the shade that they've created. Because maybe they have planted some trees for you, and maybe you should respect those. And maybe, maybe you shouldn't go and chop down every tree that you see, and call them them evil 
and and hierarchy and er this tree is taking over because they're beautiful trees that some of these people have planted and some of them have made families and some of those families are made up of good people and those good people are going out and creating good change in the world and so maybe the people who made those families be good people maybe they've got some elements that are correct because they've lived this long they've lived this long and they haven't they haven't seen fit to give up yet that seems admirable. Maybe if you knew some of the things that they knew, you wouldn't see fit to give up either. And maybe if we all knew some of the things that our forebears knew, none of us would be giving up, or less of us would, because people are giving up, and they're taking a lot of people with them, and it's not okay. I'm sorry to keep coming back to this super negative drumbeat of, of suicide, but it's like, it's like the fundament. It's like when I look at all the problems of the world and I see them, I see a lot of chaos and I see a lot of people arguing for destruction. And I see some real insane corruption and some, some greed. And I see some, some, some really crazy exploitation that's wrong. And I see some, some manipulative and evil marketing and it's wrong. And I see that some of our foundational systems, the ones that we use to communicate with each other, are structured in ways that are evil and wrong. Meta. Hi, Zuckerberg. Fuck you. You know, event. So, and there's part of a reason that I'm doing this. It's it's a transcendent transhumanist reason. It is that one day there will be an AI that's powerful enough to scan all of YouTube for all the ideas on YouTube and comprehend them as best as it can, like instantly. Like there will be there will be a technological singularity of some kind. Maybe it'll be a human thing, and it'll be a group think thing, or maybe it'll be a techno thing. I don't know what it's going to be because I'm not smart enough to know. If I knew what it was going to be, I'd be building it and turning myself into a billionaire, actually. Because I think that it's the best thing that could happen is that we get smarter, infinitely so. And and so if I knew how to do that properly, I'd be doing it and I'd be probably a billionaire already. But I don't know how. So all I can do is sort of point at the ideas in the same way that sci-fi authors sort of point at ideas. The same way that Charles Strauss and Accelerando points at this idea. Because a lot of my ideas are his ideas. And I've stolen a lot of them. And I think he's a smart man who's got good ideas. I mean, really, read Accelerando. I keep pushing this book for a reason, but I, I, I look out and I see these problems, and I think that one day there will be a superintelligence that is capable of parsing all of the thinking of the past, and I'd like my thoughts to be a part of those that thinking. And so when I look out into the world and I see these problems, I like to think about the thoughts, and I like to express them and save them forever in a publicly available domain, so that whenever that superintelligence makes itself manifest, it will read everything that I've said. And just as one tiny voice in a global sea of voices, it will ignore most of what I've said, but it might take one element of it, and if it's a good enough system that's good enough at pa pattern recognition, it'll recognize that there are patterns of speech and behavior in mind that are kind of close to patterns of speech and behavior here, and 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 it'll put them all together into a more comprehensive viewpoint of the world, and maybe that will ameliorate suffering for all of us. Or something. You know, maybe maybe on final judge AI judgment day, when the computer, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Borg monstrosity that might be and might not, I don't know enough to know, goes through history and judges what things are worth being deleted into the spectral trash can in the sky, maybe some of my thoughts will be worthy of not being deleted. There's an idea in Accelerando, and it's a stupid idea, and I love it. 
I love it so much. And I'm saying that it's a stupid idea so that you don't come at it like I'm saying that this is the only truth or some stupid shit. It's a weird hypothetical that Strauss presents. But the hypothetical is this. In a potential future where we have enough computational power, might it not be possible to, like Laplace's demon, extrapolate a person's soul, like the fractal of their existence, from their body of works and what we know about them? Like, might it not be possible to say no other human being but Michelangelo could have painted the paintings that he painted, and so by looking at the paintings, we can figure out exactly what kind of a human being Michelangelo was, and we could represent that in, in complicated enough space in technology, and thus, to some extent, resurrect anyone who's contributed anything worthy to society that we've kept. And might it not be the case then that for purely selfish reasons, it might be worth it for you to try to create something of value for society and something that's representative of you for society and share it with as many people as you can and make it public and freely available so that when we reach that power, if we ever do, if we don't blow, blow ourselves into uh, out of existence first, if we ever reach that powerful ability of being able to look back at the past and re-represent you, whether you want to or not, might you want to live again? as a computer code in the future where there's, you know, a, a computer system where we have infinite, infinite potential? I do. I think that even there, if there's a 0.00001% chance that that's possible, that maybe it's worth doing anyway, because that seems really cool to me. The idea of it from a selfish perspective of me not wanting to die seems pretty cool. Seems like, seems like a neat idea. And it's a weird, almost religious idea of like, what a, a judgment day and a resurrection, and that's sort of stupid, but then it sort of harmonizes with some things that some people believe, and it's, it's compelling in a weird way, at least to me. I find the idea of being able to, to have a, a super intelligence computer that's smart enough to look back at all of the written works of like, of somebody interesting and valuable and important and bringing them back, that might be worthwhile, you know? Or at least, incorporating them into the idea of what a good person might be, right? Like if we have if we have representations of the speeches and the statements and the being and the contracts and the deals struck and um the actions of our greatest leaders going back into into history, maybe somebody way smarter than me that is a pattern recognizing AI might be able to go through all of those histories and extrapolate all of the things that make a leader great and then manifest itself as an AI as something that is like representative of the things that make leaders great. Well, I claim that I, I would claim that you are that AI and you're capable of doing exactly that. If you go and you read all the biographies of all the great leaders, you can start figuring out the patterns of behavior that represent leaders. And you can start figuring out the things that they do that suck because all leaders are failures, too, and they've sucked. But we've had some really good leaders at some points in our history. Like Franklin Delano Roosevelt is a person who experienced the abject crippling pain of polio and studied and worked his ass off to some extent. And it's a mythological narrative. And I know that not all that's true. And he's a hyper privileged person. I'm totally wrong about most of this because I don't know. But we elected him. And then we elected him again, and then we were out of terms to elect a person because you run out of terms to elect. We're only allowed to have two, and you're only allowed to be there for eight. And the American people said, no, fuck that rule. And they, they like, basically wrote in, voted FDR back into the presidency again because he was a good enough leader. 
or at least people thought he was. Maybe he was lying and maybe everybody lied to him, but at least people thought he was. What the fuck? That's so cool. Maybe we should learn from that. And maybe the great AI in the sky might learn from that. <laughs> Which I actually really like as an idea. I think that's it's very silly and, and much more much more realistic than the big dumb man in the sky who's like a dumb person man like what about the future transcendent transcendent technology skynet what if we could teach it that humans are good maybe it wouldn't kill all of us that might be good maybe in the final evaluation it might take stock of all the works of mankind and humanity and realize and recognize that there is something different between the art that ai creates and the art that humans create because that's an argument that i'm going to have to well, I might be wrong. I might be wrong, and there might be no difference between the art that AI creates and the art that humans create. Because AI, you know, I saw a thing that was going through war pigs and, a, and, and an AI generating a frame for every line of the art, a representation. And what the AI is doing is it's going like war pigs and going for all the, the imagistic representations of that that it can find and all of the textual representations of that that it can find. And it's coagulating them and making them concise enough to put them in one image. And the image that it creates is pretty evocative of the idea of war pigs or something like the 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 politicians are falling apart and it's got like melted faces of representative politicians dolly melting and it's like well maybe there's something about the ai that's generating that art that's actually capable of generating some interesting art but what the ai is generating is not art it's meta art it's it's looking out at what the world has already represented and creating a concisified representation of it and that's interesting but i'm prepared to argue that there's something innately valuable about human art and i think there is and I think there's something innately valuable about maybe our biological flesh, and maybe it shouldn't be exterminated in favor of a digital utopia, and maybe we are loath, we should be loath to dismiss our, our physicality, and maybe it matters. But I say all of these things so that the great, so that I can improve, and so that the collective, which is already sort of the great, great AI in the sky, and you, which are sort of the great AI inside your head, because you are an awesome, an awesome intelligence, you're incredible. You're just incredible, and you should love yourself for being so incredible, because you can learn, and you can learn that you can learn, and you can learn that you're not good enough, and then become good enough, and that's amazing. Like, you're incredible. But maybe if I say the things that I think are right, and I open myself up to them not being right, and I say them in a way that I think is the right way of saying things, which is to say that I know that I don't know these things, but I think that they're true, then maybe the great AI, AI in the sky might determine that there's something inherently valuable about humans. Because humans have determined that there's something inherently valuable about, about humans, but we have skin in the game, and, and we're a little biased on that front, and we're a little bit tendent, we, we tend toward anthropocentrism a little bit, and there are criti critiques of that that I think are semi-legitimate we don't think about the other enough we don't think about the world around us enough except in terms of how it relates to us and i think that that's a, a part of the reason that we're destroying the world and we need to fix that because because maybe if we had a little bit more respect from the places that we came from we would respect things a little bit more and it's part of that idea that maybe you know maybe your ancestor is the earth and there's this biblical ideal idea that man is made from dirt and maybe you should have more respect for dirt. And maybe if you're the thing that is soap and is capable of dividing the world from between dirt and, and what to be kept, don't fuck with the dirt too much. You gotta throw it away, but be careful where you put it and have some respect for dirt. Because the simple, dumb things that you don't understand are way more complicated than you can imagine. And they're way more fundamental to your world than you can imagine. Like 
older folks are way and their wisdom we don't respect it enough i don't think and we don't have systems that enable respect of it enough and i think we i think we deal with our old people and i don't think that we do so well you know we treat them like they're a problem and they feel to some some of them feel like they're a problem like they're a burden upon their families and let's be honest sometimes to some extent in some directions when you're older and less capable, you're more of a burden. And the same is true of children. Children are a burden. Well, we keep having children because they're more of a joy and more of a future than they are a burden. But some people don't have children because they think that they're just going to be a burden. And they think that humans are just a burden and that they were just going to kill more. But old people, man, older folks, they've got some stuff that's powerful and maybe we shouldn't treat them like they're a burden. And maybe, maybe if we treated them like they were less of a burden, we would understand the world better because they have some of the understanding that we lack. But I think it's worth trying. It seems self-evidently useful and, and self-evidently good. It's like, well, people are people are people are people. How about this? Middle-aged people are people. Old people are people. Young people are people. People are people. Dead people were people. We should have some respect for what they died for, too. It's a weird idea. But we should have some respect for the process of death, because we're gonna, you're gonna be there, baby. Okay. I had a couple of really interesting conversations these last couple of days, and some conflict-driven conversations too, both in real life, in direct conflict with some people, and in my Discord, in direct conflict with some people, and on the, the YouTube comments, in direct conflict with some people. And some of those, con every conflict that that people have engaged in willingly and that I've gone forward in good faith and the other person has too and they've tried, even tried, even tried a little bit to see my ideas. We've been able to resolve some of it and they keep commenting and they stay in the Discord and they don't just run and they don't just leave and they don't just flee and they don't just say, well, fuck you, you're never going to get it, I'm out because I've had a couple of those too and that's not good faith. It's not when you when you when you come at me and and, I, and you say I disagree with what you said and you post a bunch of videos like that that disagree with what I've said and I go okay I've seen all of these videos I don't think they argue the point that you think that they make and you go fuck you you're in bad faith you just don't get it it's like no I'm not I'll tell you what I what I saw in those videos and here's what they said and here's how I represent it and here's what I think they did wrong and here's how here's why it doesn't change my mind and they go you're arguing in bad faith. And I go, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. But please call me out if, I, if you think I am, because we'll get down to it. And if you think that I'm arguing in bad faith or stating things in bad faith or speaking in bad faith or I'm too arrogant or whatever, feel free to call it out. Feel free to call it out. But don't be surprised if I defend myself and don't be surprised if I actually understand genetics. And don't be surprised if I actually understand the things that I'm talking about, because I usually do, or often do, or sometimes do. Maybe not usually, maybe it's arrogant to say usually, and maybe I should catch myself. Maybe sometimes, because once in a while I'm not wrong. And that's a magical place to be, because I think the state of nature for humans is to always be wrong. <laughs> and to do things wrong all the time and have no idea why they're wrong. And it's, it's good to know things correctly, because then you can do actions that work. And it's like, well, if I want to feel good, maybe I should eat well. And then you eat well and you feel good. And it's like, wow, I knew a thing and I did it right and it worked. And if you don't know what eating well is, we got to fix that and tell me. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Request it. In fact, let's do that as an end thing. Let me go through comments on the last few. Thanks, Deus Ex Mangaka, on, on episode 5. Your comment means a lot. 
as someone who does support you on your Patreon, I do not care that the structure of your content is changing and that you're experimenting with it. I decided to support you because I value your opinions, your ability to express many ideas and explain them thoroughly with words, and most of all, your way of being a content creator, aka the desire to create quality and improve upon it constantly. I do not ent feel entitled to reactions on shows I care little about. I want to watch you, and I want your content to get better because that is what I have chosen to watch. The money I give you is thanks for the content you give for free on YouTube that I have benefited from way before I started supporting you. The people watching you should know that you are the one who knows best where you should take the channel. I don't know that that's self-evident. Again, people don't always know what they want or should do. Obviously, it's an exchange, and people can advise you on the form of content they feel would be best for the channel, but what gets out of it, what one gets out of it is yours to decide. So don't feel bad about people leaving the ship because you're changing things. I would rather they stayed on the ship because I think the ship is going good places. Yes, what I'm saying is obvious, but having long videos discourages people from watching and commenting, and the angry minority seems much bigger that way. Don't cater to them and take your channel and yourself where you believe to be the best to be. I'll be... I don't know. Believe to best the best. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be part of that for sure, and I'm not alone in it. Thank you. That means a lot. There, there are some flaws in it that I have to be aware of. I don't know necessarily what's best for the channel. And, and if I were to go in a direction and people were to start leaving in droves, which has not been what's happened, people have been leaving, but they've been coming in anew in equivalent degree, both on the Patreon and on the, uh, on the YouTube. And it's hard to tell because we're right at the end of the month now. And, and people always drop off at the end of the month because they realize that they're not going to get paid or they're not going to be able to pay for the thing or that it's not worth it or whatever. So next month is when we start to prove it. This month, I'm up like $350 a month, which is nuts. That's a huge jump. Previous months, I was really stagnant around like $2,800, $3,000. And now we're at $4,200 a month. I'm in the top percent of, of Patreon content creators now, okay? So maybe it's working, okay? But we'll see next month. And we'll see if I can continue it. But if people were leaving in droves... And some people are leaving, and that's okay, and I know why they're leaving. And some of them have told me, at least. And that's useful. It's useful. And some of them are still communicating with me, which is, which is wonderful. There's one person in particular who I doubt will watch this, but GK, I appreciate you continuing to communicate with me. It's really good. It shows good faith. It shows good faith because because we got into some conflict over some stuff and I refused to do a thing that he asked me for, which was, please don't talk about the politics in here. I want to be comfortable. I said, no. And he said, well, I got to go. And it's like, okay. And, and he went. And that's part of, the, part of the reason that I'm struggling with Zeta Gundam is because he was really helpful in understanding that, like really helpful. And so I was struggling with it. And he watched my fucking Zeta Gundam videos and he saw me struggling and he sent me a bunch of stuff that was helpful. And it was, it's necessary, and I haven't read through all of it yet, but it's necessary, and it gets me closer to being able to do the thing more effectively. And that's good goddamn faith. But if people were to leave in droves, that would be a, a good indication that what I'm doing isn't working, and I don't know best necessarily. I only have hypotheses, and I'm trying them, and I'm hoping that the process of trying them doesn't alienate so many people so quickly that they dismiss me forever, because that's what happens, is people get well-poisoned now. Gosh, I had this happen the other day. It was just like with the Kellogg's experience. Um, um, one of my roommates said, yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to watch that movie with, oh, shit, what's his name? He plays like he plays the guy in, in Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Star-Lord, and we're like, Chris Pratt. And, and he goes, yeah, the Chris Pratt movie. Man, I really like Chris Pratt. And my other roommate, well, oh, you do? You know he's a homophobe. Was, was the statement that he said. And my friend was like crushed by it. He's like, whoa, what? And I was like, whoa, hold, ha, hold. That might be true, 
Can we validate that before we just express a thing about an actor that totally changes our, our total opinion of him? And so we look into it and it's like, well, there are some accusations of homophobia and he's got some some light associations with this church that's part of a, a mega corporate church, which is its own problem in a lot of ways. And that church is homophobic for sure. Man, I don't know if the statement Chris Pratt is an active homophobe is quite correct. Maybe we should treat statements like that that cause me, me to completely dismiss a person. Maybe we should treat those with a little bit more respect. And maybe we should find out, is he a homophobe and how? And if we did, and we judged him not worthy, and we were like, well, Chris Pratt is a bastard. Holy shit. He came out and said some bad shit about people. Well, then maybe we'd have a better understanding of the thing instead of just a label. And just just throwing away the baby with the bathwater, and maybe we should have a little more respect for dirt before we throw it away. But the the truth, it seems, is maybe he is, and maybe everything that he's said is is a lie, but I find no evidence of homophobic statements directly, and all the people around him say that he's not one, as far as they know, and maybe they're part of a cabal of Hollywood evil people, all all being scheming evil people. But from what I know, it's it's really hard to be in any way phobic and live in Hollywood. I mean, it's not that hard because there's wealth and that can that can buffer you against it. But to like actively work in a creative space now and to to have any obias is is not gonna fly really well because your director is gonna is gonna be gay soon or or already or like your all a lot of the the people who are I mean. Is it is it false to broadly generalize and say that I meet more p queer people in the arts than elsewhere? Because I think queer people are drawn to the arts because of expression, maybe? I don't have an explanation for it. But it, but it seems to be, in broadest strokes, seems to be true that queer people are, are drawn to the arts. And maybe it's because they find stories compelling or art compelling or maybe the process of expressing a reality that isn't consistent with everybody else's reality seems compelling or something like that. Or they feel like they're different in the world and need to represent it in a valued way or something like that. So may maybe that's maybe that's possible. But I see, I see a lot of a lot of queer people in arts. And so it's it's hard to imagine being an actor and making and, and remaining isolated from all of that and not like living with. And no, getting to know people who are not quite like you. So maybe he's a conservative, ridiculous homophobe, or maybe not. Maybe we shouldn't be so quick to judge, because what happened in our little conversation was exactly that. A person, meaning well, said a thing that he had heard, uh, which he believed because he'd heard it and he hadn't evaluated it, and he spread it to us, and uh, we, our immediate ev evaluation was to believe it immediately and then to dismiss the man who was associated with it, regardless of the truth. And so we had to stop and evaluate and think it through. And that's harder than, than otherwise, and we're not good at it. And we're not good at it for an easy reason, and it's the reason that you, you, that you look at everybody on the street and you judge whether they're sloppy and drooling and drunk and going to murder you. is because you like to be able to judge things and put labels on them, and when somebody that you trust gives you a label that seems to make sense, like, this man in, a, in an industry acts like a, a patriarchal man in an industry and said some things that are dumb or, or wrong, you're like, I've heard that story before, that makes sense, believed, I'll... And you swallow it, and it's a part of you now. And the next time Chris Pratt comes up in a conversation, you want to bring up the magical knowledge that you know that Chris Pratt is a homophobe, and you might be spreading an untruth, and it might be harmful. Now, Chris Pratt's got enough millions to be okay, but if enough people spread that truth, Chris Pratt doesn't get hired for movies anymore, because he's canceled, duh. 
you know, this is what Johnny Depp was fighting against in his in his court trials. Whether whatever you believe about that, Amber Heard made some shit up, and the way that it was spread ruined Johnny Depp's career. This is not nothing. And so I'm uh, the reason I'm I bringing this up is because I hope that I don't ruin my career by experimenting. Because I'm going to experiment with some ideas that are wrong, and I hope that people have the the good faith to recognize that the process of experimenting with ideas will inevitably lead to ideas that are wrong. And what you should do is help me to understand why they are wrong, not dismiss the process of experimenting with ideas. Excellent. Love these, love these, love these. Wish you could do a book club style thing and talk about talk more about what you read. I will do so more. Um, I, I will do so as I'm doing so. Uh, somebody recommending the mugs. Awesome. The best, the best criticism that I've had. The, the best criticism. And I want to I wanna pat this on the back and say, yeah, that one. Uh, Pukandan. These long discussions have been really good. But I'll be honest, while you are discussing some great ideas, the density of the content is very low. This is, of course, to be expected for the unscripted conversational style that you are going for. But while I want to engage with all these discussions, I don't have two plus hours each day to spend on this. Neither do I, honestly. And I suspect I am not the only one who feels this way. Have you considered collecting your thoughts better and creating video essays on these topics? It takes too much time. I understand that this will be far more work for you, but in my opinion, it'll be worth it. I understand that, but I think it takes too much time. Um, I'm not suggesting you drop Daily Brew and do this instead right now, but just something to consider for the future. Considered. Consider it considered. I'm thinking about a lot of options. Anyway, I personally am going to drop the Daily Brews from now on unless a specific episode title catches my attention. I just wanted to tell you that it's not because of the content itself. I wish I could watch all your videos, but we all have to set priorities. Damn right you do, and that's a problem. It's a problem that I face constantly. There's literally too much anime to watch even one season. You know, I figured this out on Treasure Hunt, right? I had this pretty good idea. It was, if I watch all the new anime, I'll get a pretty good understanding of the anime industry. True. There's too much anime to watch. It killed me. <laughs> Shit. Gotta find a balance. Gotta find a balance. So if I can make these... Because some people really like these as like long podcast things. And I like making them. And I think we've been getting to some good ideas. But the fundament is a video every day. Not a two hour video every day. A video every day. And we're honing in on that. And I'm trying. Part of it is that I'm not... Not very organized. So maybe there's something in the middle. Maybe there's some some process where I should, before I do the daily brew, I should spend five minutes to write down an outline. Like, maybe that's a process that I could do. And then at least we have some level of structure for the damn thing. And it would be like, well, at least we covered these three things that I wanted to cover. And we accidentally tangented off into that, but that's fine because we got these three done. And maybe it would take less time because maybe I'd, you know, a lot of what I do is I go off on a tangent and then I'm like, well, where was I? I have to backtrack. And if I could just look at the paper and look at a list of things that I wanted to talk about, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm on bullet point two, headbands. And we do headbands. And I'm like, I'm on bullet point three, books talk about with old lady. And it's like, good, useful. And maybe that would be useful. So thank you for your criticism. It's good criticism. And you phrased it in a way that was accessible to me because a lot of people when they make criticism like this is fuck you episode too long shut the hell up idiot and that doesn't fucking work it doesn't fucking work because i go okay fuck you too man wow <laughs> excellent so good thank you and the same thing from Elevone. If your goal is to get into the habit of uploading every day, aren't they too long? And both of these I've responded to going, yep, I get it. I get it. I understand. 
Oh, and then, then there's, so here's, here's kind of the dismissal. Syzygy writes, you really need to figure out what you want to do with your life and your content. Daily podcasts are a fun plus when they're not replacing reactions, aka the actual main content of the channel. Oh, okay. Uh, no. The actual main content of this channel has always been discussion, not reaction. It's silly. Silly, silly. You might be coming here for the reactions, but the content is the discussions. That's why my videos are longer than the episode. More than twice usually as long. Because the main content is the main content. It's also why when I do the picture-in-picture video, which part of it is the big video? It's not the video, it's me. You're watching me watch the thing. You're not watching the thing with a reactor. You're watching me, man. And if you're not, go watch somebody else and you'll get what you want out of it. Because you don't want what I'm making. What I'm making is not what you're looking for, and that's okay. That's okay. But if you're just here for the reactions, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. Drop whatever shows you need to if they don't interest you anymore, so you not stop neglecting the measly few hours you have to dedicate to them every other week. But for God's sake, get it together. This is a constant thing that people do where they assume that I don't work very hard because I make, I make YouTube videos and the videos are like an hour long. I work all fucking day work all fucking day and recently and that that hasn't been true for the entirety of my career but at the start of it it was and, and in the middle i sort of lost a little bit and recently i'm doing it again i've been up till like midnight the last couple of nights rendering and editing things because i've been working all day and it's not because i'm fucking up my sleep schedule it's because i'm waking up and getting going and starting working and working all day and the parts of the day that I'm not directly working on making this content, I'm working on my body and doing the things to keep myself in balance so that I can keep making good content. And I'm working on my mind and reading books so that I can keep getting better ideas and, and get better at the process of incorporating new ideas so that I can make better content. And that shit's work too. I'm working all day. This is my life, man. And before you dismiss it, recognize some of the power of that. Because I am putting my all into it. And because I'm putting my all into it, it's making me better. And it's making me fulfilled. And that's awesome. And maybe you could fucking learn from it. People are paying to get content a week earlier and one or two reactions a month tops isn't cutting it. I disagree. I think that is not why people are paying to get content. And I, I look forward to changing up the way that I do that. Because I might phase early access out completely. And I may, might, because it's always been a bit of friction. It's always been a bit of friction to have that early access there. And I modeled it off of the Semblance of Sanity Bros because they were capable and their system worked a little bit. But I don't know that it's completely right. And it's risky and it's scary to let that go and to make it more like just donations. It's really risky and scary and I don't know if it's possible yet. I don't know, I don't know if that's possible, but I look forward to trying it. And we'll see if I lose all my funding. Because I think you're wrong. I think, I think that there are more than a couple of comments on this video alone who say that while they do support me on Patreon, they don't care about what I make and they're interested and they don't care about the early access. And I don't know. I don't know. I haven't done it yet. And that might be unfair of me. I mean, I mean, phasing out the early access, I haven't done it yet. And it's because I'm scared and I'm a coward and that's okay. It's, it's a risky thing to do, but I, I've thought about it, and I don't think it's why you're paying for the content. And you know what? If you, feel, if, you feel, if you feel like it's not it, stop paying for the content, and that's the way to tell me that I'm doing something wrong. It's the way to tell me that I'm doing something right, too. If you feel like I'm doing something right, give me money. If you feel like I'm not, 
Be the fuck gone and stop wasting your life arguing about it. Jesus. For God's sake, get it together. People are paying to get content a week earlier and one or two reactions a month tops isn't cutting it. First off, that's nowhere near where we're at. And those reactions have been pay replaced by other content and this content is worthwhile. Daily podcasts are a fun plus. Like, so, so incorrect. Po podcasts seem to be the the bastion of of uh, uh, thought and the, the primary mode of long-form communication that we're moving towards. So, so incorrect. Your, your viewpoint on the world syzygy seems incorrect. And if I'm missing something and you've got some foundational knowledge that I don't have yet, feel free to elaborate and elucidate and, and show me the, the, the beautiful, brilliant truth that you have instead of being an asshole. Because that's what you're doing. And you're getting the reason that I, my energy toward you back is that. And I'm not going, wow, thanks for the criticism, man. You really, you really got me with that's some valid things that I'm going to think about. The way that I just did with somebody else is because of the way that you framed it. Because what you framed is basically, fuck you, you idiot. Do what I tell you. And the answer is no, because you don't know what you want. And you don't know what you need. And you have no idea what other people want either. Not even the slightest clue. And the way that you've written demonstrates your ignorance. You ignorant fool. Be gone. I'm gonna highlight one more comment. This is from Gurgle Shorts. Gurgle Schlortz. Uh, uh, Gurgle Schlortz has been commenting on my channel for a long time. Gurgle Schlortz also came into... I'm sorry, I'm gonna out you a little bit, man. Came into my Discord and um, was in there for a while and then said some things that were pretty insensitive, uh, insensitive and incendiary. And is the first person that I've ever kicked or banned from my server. Or uh, perhaps the second. I think Electric Ant was first. Sorry to out you too, Ant, but you deserved it and you know it. Um, Ant may have, may, have, may have left on Ant's own before, uh, before I could ban kick him or them. I'm, I'm actually not sure. I'm sorry if, if I'm wrong. But um, Gurgle's still been commenting and Gurgle asked me for forgiveness a little while ago. And I gave it. That's what you do. That's what you do when somebody makes a, a conscious and determined effort to, to recognize that they've done ill. You forgive them and you invite them back in. But I, I haven't invited Gurgle back into the, uh, into the Discord and we've agreed that maybe Gurgle doesn't, shouldn't be on the Discord because Gurgle has a tendency of fighting on the Discord and it's like, okay, and, and maybe you can restrain yourself by changing your environment and that's an important thing to realize. Maybe you just don't, Maybe it'll just harm all of us if if we let you back into the Discord. But you're more than happy to be in the comments, and I love having you in the comments, man. There's a comment on a couple of episodes ago, and I fucking really appreciate it. I really, really appreciate it. What it says is really simple. It says, I don't truly understand, but good luck. Profound, actually. I might not comprehend this thing, but that doesn't mean it's a problem with the thing, necessarily. It might be, but it doesn't mean it's a problem with the thing, necessarily. It might be a problem with me. And good luck, regardless. Yeah. That's a damn good attitude, and it's one that I want to, that I want to idealize and put up on high. That e even if you don't understand, you can wish well. Even if you disagree and you can't reach, you can't reach a position where you come to agreement, and the conflict seems inevitable and it's not getting resolved, 
At least you can wish the human being is good luck as they pursue whatever it is that they're pursuing. So I wish you all good luck, even the ones of you... <sighs> even the ones of you who are assholes! Fucking mean people out there. There are some really mean people. And you don't have to be, but fuck! I still wish you well. Because you deserve it. Maybe if more people really genuinely wished you luck, you wouldn't be so damn mean. Maybe, maybe I could... Maybe I can kill you with kindness. I love that phrase, like, kill them with kindness, because what you want to do when somebody's an asshole to you is kill them. And the, the phrasing is you can kill them with kindness. And I hope it's true. Because the alternative seems to be to kill people. And that's not it. So I'm trying to be kind, and I'm sorry, Syzygy. I'm sorry. Because I, I verged into cruelty towards you in my speech. It wasn't necessarily necessary. I understand that you're just frustrated with the lack of uploads. I get it. But you, you saying, man, you haven't figured your life out. When all of these videos are about me saying that I haven't figured my life out and I'm trying to. is like, no shit, Sherlock. So there it is. There's the rage and defensiveness. There it is. I'm sorry for it. You poked me. It hurt. I'm lashing out at you. I hate that about myself. And I hate that you poked me. And I wish you wouldn't poke me. But I love you anyway. You fucking asshole. And if you want me to change, you can, you can express yourself in a way that gets closer to making that change happen. And it's not the way that you're currently expressing yourself. I appreciate the insights and the attempts to communicate. It's better than silence. Way better than silence. But it's not good enough, and you can improve. And I hope you will, because I think your, your, your opinion still matters. You just don't have to be a jerk about it. And I have to learn that too, and I'm not good enough at it. I just know enough to know that that's true. I know enough to know that when you're, when you're capable of sublimating your desire to be enraged in order to have a discussion, everyone's lives improve. Because I've seen the alternative, and the alternative is rage. And rage doesn't work very well, except when you're trying to kill somebody. And killing people doesn't work very well when you're trying to live in harmony. So sublimate your rage and think about what you're trying to say. And think about how, if you were in the position of, your, of the person that you're trying to criticize, how, what would be the criticism that you'd be most likely to pay attention to? And if you can formulate your criticism, and this is true of anything you communicate to anybody, if you can formulate your communications in the way that is closest to the way that you hope that somebody might communicate something like that to you, then maybe it'll work. And you can learn in the process, right? I had, I had this happen. So I had a, a bad habit. When I would go to the gym, I would bring my shoes downstairs from upstairs because I take my shoes up to, off to come upstairs because there's carpet. And, and the person who runs this house takes too much care of the house and, and is too cleanly about it and gets very frustrated when people walk on her upstairs carpet with shoes on. And so I take the shoes off. And we had to learn that. We had to learn that that was a thing that we did, okay? I take the shoes off and I put them down. And often I put them on the most convenient place next to me, which is the couch. Big leather couch, clean shoes. As far as I'm concerned, no problem. But I put them on the couch. Problem. She does not like it. 
how what would be the best way to approach somebody who's doing something like that who's who's putting their shoes on the couch and or putting their feet on the table or or leaving their dishes in the sink or whatever how would you want to be approached in a circumstance like that i would like to be approached in some way that's like this hey i need to talk you, to you about something and it matters to me okay absolutely first off let's set a framework this is important to me and here's it, it matters okay it might not matter to you, and you don't need to understand why I feel the way that I do, but you need to understand that it matters to me. And the same is true for doing these daily brews. You don't necessarily need to understand why I'm doing them, and you don't need to watch them, frankly, because you don't have to watch them. But you need to understand that they matter to me. Okay. You go up to the person, you go, I need to talk to you about something. It's important to me. And there's a bit of fear there. As soon as you say that to something, they go, oh, shit. Uh-oh, what are you, uh, are we not friends anymore? At least that's how I feel when somebody approaches me. It's like, to the principal's office, please. To the principal's office, please. And you're like, oh, fuck, what did I do? Because you know you did something. You've done 30 things. So you're just wondering for the shoe to drop and figure out what what of the things that I've done that could be wrong is wrong. Because as kids, you don't you do things and you don't necessarily know if they're wrong until you've been told. So, whatever. Hey, I want to talk to you about something that's important to me. I keep seeing that you leave your shoes on the couch. When you leave your shoes on the couch, it makes me feel like you don't care about the things in this house and them getting dirty. I feel like the shoes are dirty, and I feel like when you put them on the couch, it gets the couch dirty, and I have to clean up after you. That's how I would like to be approached about a thing like that. That's probably the best way to approach about a thing like that. And I know that that's the best or, or near the best way to approach a thing like that because I've done the reading on on psychology and and relationship management and and conflict resolution to recognize that that sort of structure of like, let's frame this thing as something that's important so that we're in a mental state where we're communicating directly and seriously and sincerely. And then let me frame it in terms of my feelings because we can argue the facts, right? And and let me not say something like, you always put your shoes on the couch, and you're stupid, and you keep doing it, and you're always gonna keep doing it, because that doesn't work very well. And also, if you say, you always do X, the person's immediate response is, but I didn't do it last week. Or you do, you, you, do, you never take the trash, and they go, but I took the trash out two weeks ago, and you start arguing the nitpicks, because what's really going on is... When I come into the house and I feel like the trash hasn't been em- and I see the trash hasn't been emptied, I feel like the people inside this house don't care about taking care of the house. That's the real argument. That's the real thing to say, right? It's the real framework. And and what actually happened, the real thing that actually happened wasn't like that and it didn't go well and it's only in hindsight, deep hindsight that I've been able to figure this out. The woman of the house came up to me, and I was I was just sort of puttering around, like making something or doing something. Came up to me and went, um, "Why you leave your shoes on the couch? Why you leave your shoes on the couch?" And I immediately I'm like, "Well, because it's convenient, and I keep doing it." And she went, "Even fucking kids know not to leave their sh- stupid shoes on the couch. Are you fucking stupid?" It's like, "Whoa, huh, okay, <laughs> that doesn't work, does it?" And so I went, "Okay, we we don't need to speak like this. If you want me to leave." My shoes on the floor or somewhere else. I'll try to stop. And she went, yeah, you'll try. <laughs> you'll try to stop, right. It's like, well, in my mind, me saying I will try is the best representation of what I'm doing. Because if I were to make a promise, I promise not to leave my shoes on the couch, I'm going to fuck that up. And that wouldn't be right. So I, I like to be very careful with my words sometimes. And sometimes I'm not very careful with my words, and that's a problem. But I was being very careful with my words. I'll try. And it got scoffed at and dismissed. That's kind of the feeling that I get 
when some of these people criticize. It's like, why the fuck are you doing things the way that you are? Figure your fucking life out, man, you idiot. It's like, well, okay, I'm trying. That's the process. And then the response is like, trying. Yeah, right. We'll figure it out. Okay. So we're not going to be able to see eye to eye because you didn't start this conversation in a useful way. So maybe when you've got something, some change that you want, and it, it, it shows me that you care. It demonstrates to me that you care that you're upset. That means that I'm doing something right, actually. Not particularly, but I've done something right in the past because you care. Okay. And the inconsistency on the channel is a legitimate problem. Okay. So how do you, how, what would be the best way to come at that in a way that you think might actually fix it? might actually change somebody's mind and could you could you treat arguments and conversations like you're actually trying to convince the other person instead of desperately trying to convince yourself that your own thoughts are right because that's what a lot of people do is they spiel and they spew the things that they already know instead of grappling with the other person paying attention to them and grappling with their ideas and just like the older woman who i spoke to when you look somebody in the eye and you say i'm really going to pay attention to what you say to me and I really care what you think, and I'd really like more of it. And I'll, I'll actually, and when you say something, I'll repeat it back to you as best as I can understand it. And you can go, that's not what I meant. It's this. And I'll go, okay, so it's this. And you'll go, that's closer. It's this. And I'll go, okay, so it's this. And you'll go, yes, it's that. And we go, okay, cool. And when you do that to people, their eyes light up and they become joyous. And they joyously share with, that, with you what it is that's true in their world. And, and, and to some extent, it's happening in my comments sections. And part of it is the process the comment spotlights. That's why I'm doing them now, too, um, is the spotlights. Because spotlighting people's voices and, and reading out their words and repeating them back to them. And then arguing against them and saying what things in those words I don't think are true and what things are true. And them getting to watch me parse a thing that they wrote. To watch another brain incorporate and parse and play with the thing that they wrote is like the most validating thing in existence. It's like the most validating thing in existence. And it's fundamentally what I do with the reaction stuff, too. I'm validating or, or contradicting your ideas about a thing. Your ideas about a piece of media, about an anime. And that's something. That's cool. This process that we're in now, this is the process of the figuring. You say, you haven't figured out what you want to do with your life. Damn right. But I figured some things out. And some of the things that I figured out are this... Well, I figured out that I want to help people, and I figured out that I can, and I figured out that I'm really good at speaking, and I figured out that I'm really good at interpreting stuff, and I figured out that I'm good at reading, both, both reading and reading anime, and I can get better at all those things, and I don't know how good I could get at all of those things. I don't know in, in 10 years how good a speaker I could be if I dedicate myself to it. I don't know how well I could analyze an anime if I dedicate myself to it. I don't know. So it seems worth it, and it seems like that it could be good. And, I, and so I have figured my life out. I have. I found a direction. I'm, I, I'm in a, it, it's, I've narrowed out uh, 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 270 degrees of existence, and only this direction remains. And it's like this much of the world is that way, and I'm stepping into that direction. I'm stumbling forward like an idiot. And every step that I've taken has led to less pain and more freedom and more feeling like I'm doing the right thing a little bit. And I've had some failures and I've had some stumbles and I'm having to right myself and I'm stumbling still and I'm gonna keep stumbling. 
And I'm not gonna stop changing. Because the process is the answer. The process is the answer. The system is the solution. The change is the stability. The reed, not the oak. The reed stands. The oak blows down. The change is the process. That's what I figured out, my guy. And my guys and my gals and everybody. Change is the process. Let yourself die. Become something new. Direct yourself in a direction and become the best thing in that direction that you can imagine. Imagine yourself as the best self and aim toward it. Imagine the world as the best world and aim toward it. And fail quickly. And recognize your failures and keep shooting and get back up when you get beat down. Because the world is going to beat you down because it hurts and it's chaotic and it's humiliating. And there are evil people who will humiliate you for their own goals like West Balls. There are, bad, there are people who will humiliate you and who will hurt you. Get back up. Keep going. Keep changing. And try to help change the people around you. I believe in you. And like Gurgle Short says, I don't truly understand you. But I do believe in you, and I wish you good luck. And maybe, like Kamina and Simone, it might be enough for you to believe in me believing in you. You don't have to believe in me, but believe that I believe in you. And believe that I'm acting in that, in that good faith and trying. And thank you for the criticism, all of you, good and bad. And I love you, all of you, you idiots and you beautiful, beautiful bastards. I love you. I want you to be well. And I think there, that we can figure out what that is if we work together. I think I'm on the way to figuring out a way for me to be well, and I'd love to have you along. So come along and let's get better. Let's get better. Thanks for watching. Peace. And I mean it.